and welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. Hi, I'm Kelso. And I'm Kyla. And I'm Carl. And I'm Barry. We got a guest this time. We have time. a guest, y'all. It's Barry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Barry is someone that I met uh, doing an interview about Wintermore Tactics Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he recommended to me the game that we played uh, for this podcast. So, Barry, you want to, like, we'll have you do, like, all the plugs and links and things at the end. But you want to talk just a little bit about, like, who you are and the stuff you do online? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Barry. And I, uh, I'm i an editor, a writer, and a content producer for uh, NintendoFuse.com, where I have done the podcast there for over seven years now. And uh, you might also have heard me on the Switch Mania Playcast, which I've been there for over a year, as well as guesting on other podcasts like Nintendo Everything and Stone Age Gamer and stuff like that. And uh, I'm, a, I'm an avid video game collector. I'm an avid video game industry analyst. Uh, I just love, love everything video games. And uh, I got the pleasure of interviewing Kyla for, uh, for Nintendo Fuse for a show I do over there called Industry Talk. And we got to talking, and uh, we, we talked a little bit about this podcast there, too. And I, I had just played the game we're going to be talking about, and I was telling her about it. And she's like, that sounds great. So she reached out to me, and I am very happy and honored to be uh, here today. Yeah. Yeah, All right. we are happy to have you, because it, it's funny. You're like a real podcaster, and we just kind of <laughs> do this. <laughs> it's the first time i've ever been told like you're a real podcaster <laughs> you know like like that's when it's on my business card real podcaster <laughs> now, now you can now you can put it there yeah. yes you quote now. kelso quote you're a real podcast there you go yes. not, like just, not just not just us who are literally just schmucks with microphones no. but someone who has thought and intent and presumably real equipment question mark but, yeah, I have a headset. I have a headset. I mean, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't have all that Uber equipment. I or technically, I shouldn't say that. I do have some of it. I'm just too lazy to hook it up. <laughs> yeah. Ain't so. that always yeah, the way? Yeah, um, that's the fun of it. So I guess before we get into uh, the game, um, it's been a little bit. How's been everybody's like Thanksgivings and generally November's? <laughs> It's been a Thanksgiving, man. I feel like at one point, I think I would have said Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And now thinking back on it, I don't think I've enjoyed a single Thanksgiving in like the last five years. Because I always get roped. I always get roped into cooking almost everything. So it has just become uh, the stress vortex. But at least the food's damn good. So... Yep. I, I cooked a lot considering that we had no one over because of COVID. <laughs> so uh, we were yeah. going to like do a, a real cute like five person Thanksgiving with some friends. And we were all like quarantining for two weeks beforehand to make sure that we would be healthy. And then like the numbers started to rise. And like shortly before we were all like, maybe we shouldn't do this. And so I just cooked for myself. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. We just did, um, me and my boyfriend and his parents who live nearby, so even that is probably too many people, but it's one of those (laughs) things that's like, we can't, like, tell his parents that we're not driving 20 minutes to go see them because (laughs) 
they probably <laughs> they probably wouldn't take that very well. Um, yeah. They are old and not as conscientious of these things. But hey, we Everett and I don't go outside, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty much at that point where it's like we don't go outside except for like shopping for groceries, and that's it. So, yeah, basically. I had a birthday yeah. in the past few weeks, and after I got like some fun stuff, like uh, my mom made me, my mom does a, um, I think I've mentioned she does a lot of work with 3D pens lately, uh, and she made me a companion cube. <laughs> That's not awesome. Li not life-size, but it's, uh, it's pretty cute. It's very, it's very adorable. Um, so I got that, and I got a new spice rack, and then after my birthday, uh, there was a Squishables sale, so I bought some dragon Squishables. So now I have some giant plush dragons in my home, and they're amazing. Nice. Well, happy I birthday. Always, Thank yeah. you. I always think, like, it would be good to have giant plushies, but then I never, I don't know, what am I going to do with a giant plushie? It's going to sit on the couch, but it's going to be cool sitting on the couch. Maybe yeah. I'll have to do that one of these days. <laughs> you have a skeleton instead. I have, we have two skeletons actually. Um, <laughs> oh, you got a got second a one. We got so we have we have the full size one that we got last year, which is about as tall as me. Which is granted not very tall, but it is roughly human sized. And then this year, um, I I saw it at the store and I bought it. It's a smaller one, but its eyes light up, uh, and they sit on the couch or not on the couch. They sit on like the weird little wicker chair that we don't really use. Um, <laughs> And that's where they live. Uh, the The big one is named Miss Patricia, and I don't think the small one has a name yet. Oh man! Write into message us on Twitter with what you think the name of Kelso's small skeleton should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Carl? Anything interesting the past month or so? No, I'm just living life. Finally, having like a dishwasher and a washing machine. Oh damn! That's right, you moved. Automatic vacuum cleaner. I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> Carl has been freed from the shackles of household chores. Yes, this is this is the future. Automation. We're here for it. That's great, though. I man, I have lived without a, um, a dishwasher, and God, does that suck? Mm -hmm. Even yeah, if you're only doing dishes for yourself, it just is a nightmare. Yeah, like suddenly it becomes fun to cook. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't have a huge pile of things afterwards. So are you are you mostly like all unboxed and unpacked now, or do you are you one of those people who does it gradually over the course of like five months? No, I'm one of those people that still had box stuff when I moved out. <laughs> Just the box you never opened. Yeah. Well, that bodes well for the future. It's less work to do when you move out. So, I mean, I, I am on the same team, Carl. You got the right idea, buddy. But you're enjoying the new place? Yeah. See, any any notable features besides the uh, incredible automation? Do you like, do you have like a view of a lake or something something fun? And it's like this really weird, small, like, industry building turned into, like, 
apartment and we were like living like on the top floor it looks like there's not a, like a single flat roof in the entire apartment oh interesting that just completely changed my mental picture of how I was picturing your place. Do you uh, do you have any cool like exposed brick or like I don't know? It's now it sounds like a fancy loft. I'm imagining it's probably not a fancy loft, but when you said like no flat ceilings, that makes me think fancy loft. I mean, it has an air of fancy loft to it. Ooh. <laughs> All right. But it's not that fancy, it's pretty like... Yeah, there's some like construction issues with this place. But I'm not gonna complain. I mean, you're welcome to complain here, this is a safe space. Probably like, your landlords aren't listening to the podcast, I assume. Like, we don't have like ventilation in our bathroom? Hmm. Huh. That could be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> see, I see. Um, and Barry, anything interesting for you over the past couple weeks? Uh, yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving uh, obviously just happened. Uh, we had a small Thanksgiving, just uh, five of us, you know, just wanted to keep it really small and everyone made sure to keep their social distance and all that stuff. But uh we we enjoy Thanksgiving. Just the food is great, and thankfully, my wife really enjoys cooking and enjoys cooking Thanksgiving meals specifically. So I let her, you know, do what she wants to do and have fun and just help her as needed. But um, yeah, I mean, Black Friday, you know, is the new sales and you know the holidays coming up. So it's just that time of year where I just want to like hunker in. Which thankfully, the COVID, I can easily do that and just play <laughs> video games and. And just prepare, and there's just been a lot of great releases that have come out, and it's just a lot of fun, new systems. So, oh, yeah. Have you, been, have you been able to get your hands on a new console? Yep. I, I understand they are difficult to acquire. I actually, I don't trust, whenever I order anything new like that, I don't trust any retailer, uh, especially when there's a high demand. So I always order two from two different retailers. <clears throat> so I pre-ordered two PS5s and two Xbox Series Xs. Uh, expecting full well that one of them would be canceled. Uh, so to my surprise, I got four systems to my door. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people would be like, cool, I can make money on it. And instead, I what I like to do is I just, I reach out to my friends who couldn't get them. And I sold one PS5 and one Series X to two of my friends uh, at cost. Nice. Just, just pay me back the, the tax and, and what it cost me. Uh, so I was able to help them get some systems and... and I've been enjoying them. Like, like I was really surprised at how well, uh, you know, the the haptic controller on the PS5 felt. Uh, it, it really is remarkable, and the, I was surprised at how much backwards compatibility the Series X has. And regardless of all that, I've probably spent the last fifty or so hours in Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity on the Switch. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Great new systems, and haven't touched them. Well, I've touched them. I did like Spider-Man Remastered and and Astrobot Playroom and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm a Zelda nut, so <laughs> new Zelda yeah, trumps everything. I was, was going to ask, like, is there even anything out for them yet, really? Uh, uh, the, this is probably the weakest yeah. launch libraries. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing um, how out of everything, I mean, look, I, I'm fully pro bug snacks, um, <laughs> but out of everything, man, Astro's Playroom looks great. It is. just the game that comes with the console, yeah. It's so. not only is it a great game, but it's a great uh, showpiece for the controller. And yeah. I recommend anybody yeah. that gets a PS5 before you play any other game, if you want to play Demon Souls or Spider-Man or whatever, don't play through Astro's Playroom first. It will make you appreciate the controller. And at the same time, curse when they force gimmicks down your throat to show <laughs> what the controller can do. Uh, and, and very reminiscent of like the Wii era where, look, we can do this even though we shouldn't, but we can. So you have to now deal with it. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's going to be interesting to see when, like, game developers, like, pick up and see what they really can do with a controller. Yeah, there's always, there's always, like, the first wave of really gimmicky things where it's like, we know that if we, you know, make big use of this, then the, the company that's trying to sell the console will take interest. So let's just throw it in however we can. Now, you also mentioned bug snacks. Um, that's that's part of why this system is such a weak library, like a launch library, is because games like bug snacks are on the PS4. So if you want to play that, you don't need to camp out for a PS5. You can still Wait, enjoy that it. That's on the PS4? I yep. didn't realize that. Bug snacks, Spider Man, Miles Morales is on PS4. Um, you know, uh, Sackboy's on PS4. The only actual exclusives yeah. are like the NBA 2K1s and like Demon's Souls um, and, and, and Astrobot, uh, the Playroom. Spider-Man Remastered is technically an exclusive, but it's a remaster of a 2018 PS4 game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, like that's that that's too that's too close. Two years is too few years between remaster. Well, don't you forget they did God of War three on the PS4 in HD, even though God of War three on PS3 was also in HD. Yeah. So same company, Sony. Especially like it's the, the and the PS5 is backwards compatible, yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like that's like at least with the PS3 and PS4, unless you got like one of those fancy like no, that was the PS3 no. that had like a fancy like uh, beginning of the its run was backwards compatible, and mm-hmm. then they nixed it, right? Yep. So yeah, so you just can't play your PS3 games on PS4. Right. And see, that's that's where like Sony did that, and at the time I was like, why not just do a trilogy, like. God of War 1, 2, and 3, do a trilogy. Why release just the third game? And at the same time, Nintendo just did the same thing with Pikmin. Like, why release just the third game? Give us a trilogy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, because there's plenty of games that are yeah. old enough now that, like, they could actually benefit from a remaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's I... why, like, I think it's it's great that the um, the Yakuza games, they only remade the first two because those were the mm-hmm. only two that really needed to be remade. Um, well, they've like, remastered um, three, four, and five. Yeah, but that's, I mean, in terms of like a full overhaul, they did not need to do it for any but the first two. Going from Kiwa 2 to uh, remastered three is uh, surprisingly seamless. That's what that's I've good. been playing, by the way, is just going through those. That That's going to be what I'm going to attempt to do next year as a marathon, because I've never touched the Yakuza's. And this year I did all marathons of game series, so... Oh. Oh, you multiple friends who swear by that series. Yeah. So I have oh, them all ready at the time. Um, the only um, 
Oh, sorry. Uh, a new Twewi game? Which, uh... Yes. I've weird mini games and side quests that really gave the place like a, a feeling of being like a real built out space and how like weird and offbeat they were. And he's like, wait, wait, is Twewi just Yakuza? Damn, that's a hot take. Yeah. I need to. Uh, um... I, I liked the I liked the absolute bonkers, just like off the rails storytelling that they they went for they committed to it uh and there was like a boss who like shouted math phrases for no reason and the, from the trailer it looks like he's back or at least another boss who also shouts math phrases is back nice i haven't watched the trailer i i decided i'm just not going to um oh nice to... you want to go in blind yeah i need to i actually what i need to do is i need to get the switch version of Fwewi because i I have not played it since it was on the DS. Um, I didn't even realize they made a Switch version of Twoey. Yep. Yeah, it. I don't remember. It was not Does that long ago. Screen? Two years Does ago, I think. Oh, okay. It was, to it was do like. Than I thought. Does it use the screen to do like the touchscreen controls? Uh, only if you play a handheld. Otherwise, you use the um, I think motion cursor. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. But it works. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Because I'm like, I remember that game being largely about like not being able to correctly draw a circle fast enough. So I wonder how that translates to motion controls. Yeah. I, I, um, I just remember like sitting in art class playing it on the DS uh, and annoying everyone around me with just how frantically I was tippity tapping on my ds screen um <laughs> so i'm interested to see how that translates but i have yakuza games to play so that's gonna have to wait <laughs> man between twewi and pokemon ranger the ds was really good at training me to draw circles did you ever play uh castlevania and dawn of sorrow i did not does that, that also involve you. circles yeah, that was glyphs, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I played. Um, Why did they have to do it in the middle of a boss fight under time <laughs> I still pressure? I love that game, though. It's so great. I love it, but the touch controls. <laughs> I, I could have done without them. Uh, hmm. Yeah, did I. I guess last, when did we last record? Was it before I got uh, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory uh, and started playing that? I think that just recently came out. Yeah, that came, it came the 13th. It was the day after my birthday. So I was like, birthday present! I'm trying to, I feel like you mentioned it, but I don't remember if you had played it yet or not. Um, yeah, so I've been playing that as well. Um, Less less story than I had hoped. Uh, it's mostly just a jukebox, which is disappointing. I'm I understand there's some story stuff at the end though, so I have to finish it before I make final judgment. But I do really love the the uh, music of Kingdom Hearts, and I do enjoy rhythm games, so I'm having a good time. Surprisingly, some like 
really weird mechanics-based storytelling with uh, how the rhythm game works in a way that, like, probably, like, a, a, a person coming into it cold would not even notice. But if you're, like, a big fan of the series, you're like, oh, like, this is, you know, this song is having, like, these two characters mostly do team attacks. And this is, like, the, the music that plays when they have their big sort of emotional showdown with each other where it's about, like, the fact that they're friends but they're forced to fight. And, like, this is actually really emotionally moving. <laughs> I'm reading way too much into this rhythm game. Huh. That's cool that they, um, that they actually, that they actually put some care into it. Yeah, that's that's basically for me that's been my experience with the Kingdom Hearts franchise as a whole where like every new game that comes out besides like the main numbered ones, I think like oh god, why are they putting such a stupid gimmick in this? This is like not going to work. This is going to be the first one that's just going to like completely fall flat on its face. And then it ends up like pleasantly surprising me in some way. That's happened pretty much consistently across the board. Um, some are better than others, for sure. Uh, but even like Recoded, which is pretty much considered like the you know the one no one likes, um, like did something interesting in that it tried to do um, like a, a new random um, sort of mechanic for each boss fight. Like they really tried to switch things up and kind of. Uh, keep it interesting and sort of like keep you keep you learning new stuff and trying new stuff and it was pretty fun wouldn't play it more than once but I had fun at the time <laughs> sometimes that's all you need um, I guess except Union Cross which I've been trying to play uh, on my phone which is just like the worst of mobile game mechanics I, I really hate that one. And I, it's sad because it actually has like a bunch of really important lore. And I'm like, no. Yeah, that is that is don't, the problem. They'll, they'll make a new compilation that's going to have all the cutscenes of that and make charge yeah. $60 for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I did get, um, I didn't get the like big PS4 compilation, but I did get the like 2.8 that had the cutscenes from like some of the more important cutscenes from Union Cross um, but then beforehand uh, I watched like a really in-depth YouTube video on the on the Union Cross storyline before right before Kingdom Hearts 3 came out and I was so glad I did because there are a few like really important references uh, to that game that uh, weren't in the recap material <laughs> that was in the recap. And I'm like, why did you release the recap if you're not going to mention the most important characters you're referencing? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a... That's a... Oops. That's no, I gotta I give... doing... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I got to give you props for even understanding the story because I've tried. <laughs> I, I did the first few games. And back in the day, there was a website called GameTrailers.com. And they did a wonderful timeline. They started this timeline series. They even got two episodes in before the series was shut. Uh, the, the whole site was shut down. And the second one was Kingdom Hearts. It was like 45 minutes going over the lore. And I was like, all right, this is great. This will catch me up. And I left it more confused than when I started it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> the thing about the Kingdom Hearts series, and I always say this to people, is that it's not actually that confusing. There's just a lot of it. 
um, is like each each game can pretty much be sub summed up as like there is a bad guy whose power is that he can possess people and like turn people evil. He's messing shit up in a variety of places. You have to go fix the shit he's messing up and then fight him. Like that's the arc of every single Kingdom Hearts game. Um, it's just that like there's a lot of like they they really go hard into trying to explain the minutia of like how all the stuff fits together. Like the story of Kingdom Hearts 3 is just like bad guy figured out time travel. So he's like, well, what if there were 13 of me? Then we could do more bad shit. <laughs> um, uh, and so I like, but... <laughs> I really like these kind of reductive um, explanations that they're always <laughs> kind of the best explanation. Yeah. To be fair, I did. Uh, I did watch um, someone uh, shortly before Kingdom Hearts three came out. Um, a person that I, I don't remember how I actually got linked to her stream in the first place but uh she and a friend did a charity stream where she's like her friend had never played the kingdom Hearts series and knew nothing about it and she spent four hours explaining the lore to him in detail on stream oh my god for charity and it was great wow did he understand it at the end of it, or was he just like... Yeah, there was a quiz at the end. Like, she <laughs> actually gave him, like, little... Like, one of the quizzes was like, okay, watch this trailer for Kingdom Hearts 3 that's, like, the opening movie of the, the new game, and tell me what's happening based on your new knowledge. And he did pretty well. That is wild. I, I'm assuming she used, like, visual aids. Yeah, she had a slide deck. Okay. She had a slide presentation. Okay, oh great, God. great. Yes. That, you know, you know, she just carries it around with her wherever she goes. Like, oh, like, let me tell you about Kingdom Hearts 3. Sit down, projector. And... <laughs> well, it was, uh, yeah. like, the, the I, they did, like, um, they did pad the runtime a little bit by, she had inserted, like, some little fun mini, mini moments into the presentation, which was, like, let's rank the, like, hottest members of Organization 13. And, like, which of the Dream Eaters is the most cuddleable? and things like that so uh it was it was mostly lore but also just some silliness so I, cool. you, you need those sort of um edge or not education entertainment bits in your education uh <laughs> to to really drive the point home i think yeah. that was a a brilliant strategy on her part yeah to rank the hottest members of organization 13 <laughs> Yeah, it was the the hot or not scale. And then they they had so much fun with it that after Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, like the guy in question who was being explained to actually played Kingdom Hearts 3. And then they did like another debrief slide presentation for Kingdom Hearts 3 with each other afterwards just for funsies. That's great. I like that. Yeah, it was a good time. Hmm. I'll never uh, understand Kingdom Hearts fans. That's okay. We don't need you to. We're we're content in our own little bubbles. We will we will explode with explanations of the series if you ask us, but we will also sit quietly with our lore and not bother people. Um I that's not probably not true. I don't speak for all the fans. What do I know? Um 
Uh, speaking of fun experiences, uh, should we talk about the game we played? <laughs> Segway, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we played a game. <laughs> That's why you're here, Barry. Oh my God. What? Uh, you mean this isn't a fever dream? Damn it! I knew I was awake. Yeah. So I'm sorry uh, to be the bearer of bad news. You are in fact awake. <laughs> you are in fact on a podcast. There's, <laughs> there's no escaping it. The yeah. pinches aren't working. Damn it. <laughs> uh yeah so we're we played uh evil land uh specifically we played evil land one and then uh as much as we could get through of evil land two um both of them are part of the is it the adventurers edition legendary edition legendary edition on steam um and i i did finish uh evil land two kelso i know you did not uh carl how'd you do I did not finish it. I got okay. about as far as Kelso. Okay. Um, yeah, I think you guys are in a very similar spot to where I ended up being uh, at the end of last week when we decided to to put another week onto it. Um, all right, and we'll uh, we'll pro we'll probably talk about them in order. I think we should talk about one first and then two. Um, but I will be defending the position that I think uh, Evil Land 1 is a better game than Evil Land 2. Uh, and I'm, I think that's going to be a controversial take. <laughs> um, but we can get into that uh, once we have more summarization. That's a unique uh, take, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I can I can just find I literally I literally lost sleep over this. I was literally lying awake at like 5:30 this morning thinking about things I wanted to say about these games. <laughs> um oh, but let's man. talk let's talk Evil Land 1. Um Evil Land 1 uh started life as a game jam game. Um and it's the premise is that uh progression through the game is progression through the history of RPGs. Um, so it starts as, uh, and, and most of the uh, progression is done via chests in the game that you, <clears throat> that you open and it unlocks new mechanics or new features. Um, so you start as like little 2D sort of green gray scale sprite man, uh, only boy. able to yeah, Game Boy style, uh, only able to walk to the right. And then you open a chest and you can walk to the left. And then you open a chest and you can walk up and down. Uh, and then you unlock <clears throat> uh, basic screen scrolling. And then you unlock like smoother scrolling. And then eventually you get like color and music and the bit rate increases. Story is one of the unlocks that you get, which just rolls a... Uh, a plain text backstory um, that's not like not particularly um, I don't know it's it's not a particularly like original or deep story it's very you know early Nintendo like you are a person who is hired for adventures and now bad things are happening go fight uh and you get eventually you unlock I, I like that you have to unlock saving um it's like it's a dumb thing but and it, at least you get it fairly quickly um 
but you unlock saving um, and then you unlock like world maps. And then once you're on the world map, you it becomes uh, less of sort of a Legend of Zelda action thing and more of a um, like JRPG turn-based game. Um, you go to a village uh, where you grow up from 8-bit to 16-bit. Uh, let's see. I'm I'm looking, you looking through a walkthrough. You the ability to go into people's houses without knocking on the door. <laughs> Very important video game technology. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, it's it is a combination of physical technologies and like, you know, game design developments over time, which is pretty fun. Then eventually it gets to like 32 bit and 3D and you know. Yeah, you develop polygons. Um, and don't forget the loading, the disc loading. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that, I laughed out loud when that first happened. So you get to like this uh, Final Fantasy VII style town where the, it's like set camera angles that you wander between. And when you wander between two screens, it pretends to load from a disc, which is pretty amazing. Did you see you can actually buy a faster DVD drive or yep. CD drive to make it go yeah. faster? I, I did grind yeah. the, enough money to do that because I saw it was an achievement and I wanted to get the achievement. And of course, there's a girl who like is in some way like uh, related to a crystal of some kind and has magic. And of course, she's she gets killed by the villain um, a certain amount of the way through. Uh, there's a whole like Legend of Zelda uh, dungeon style section um where there's like environmental puzzles that you have to figure out and uh, a boss fight where you have to bat the opponent's uh projectiles back at them sort of like all the greatest hits of legend of zelda kind of thing um let's see then we're there was on. a tetra master card game thrown in there oh yeah there's yeah, yeah there's a final <laughs> fantasy 9 style uh they they call it like Dual something or double something? Actually, no, was it was it? It was triple triad. I think it was more triple triad than Tetra Master. For me, yeah, uh, I think it was called like Twin Blade or no, that's that's Fable. Uh, <laughs> some a dual something or there was there was a reference to the number two in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, because because of course, like yeah, the other the the card games it's referencing um, have. Uh, have numbers in their uh, in their names, so of course this one has to as well. Right. Um, let's see. There was the Diablo dungeon. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think yeah, that was my favorite a, part. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, there's a there's a forest, which is like the one place where there's like crystals that switch you between two D and three D, and you have to use them to solve a lot of puzzles. Mm -hmm. Um. Which is sort of an interesting segment. It's maybe the one segment that doesn't feel quite in line with the central metaphor of the game of like always progressing forward in the sequence of of game design. But um, but there's some clever puzzles in there. Mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, there's a there's the Diablo section where you switch to you can switch to the girl character, and it has a fucking inventory with like. 20 slots and you keep picking up items that do nothing because yeah. they're no. all like buffs for abilities that you don't have 
Um, that was that, that was, was the best joke in the game. Yeah, that was a pretty solid joke. I was uh, I was pretty happy with that. Um, and you unlock like smooth health, where it's the the health meter uh, instead of like the hearts. Um, and you beat a boss, and you get like a scroll. There's even um, as you've been going, uh, you even unlock things like higher def menus that have like more readable font. Um, let's see. Yeah, then a then a like random like handsome dark elf villain appears for no reason and kills the girl character. Uh, there's uh, yeah. there's some Terry Pratchett references uh, that I noticed. There's uh, in as in both games actually. The first one has uh, Atuin, the great tortoise, uh, as the as one of the things you face in like the wastelands. feel like them really has a thesis to it right it has a it has a vision of the is gimmick is like isn't the most fun because it's from a time when like before the the more fun thing was preferred um so like for instance you can't save in the beginning and that's pretty tedious if you die early on um but as a whole i think it does a really good job of you know each each new thing it brings in is used in a way that really serves the overall arc of the game and it like it does have some reference humor um but it it keeps the references mostly to stuff that that matters to the mechanics um i have i have very strong feelings of of dislike for reference humor for reference humor's sake um the other podcasters may recall that was like one of my main complaints when we played magica was this like saying yes. hey here's a thing that we all remember exists is not the same thing as making a joke yep um and i feel like you know with a few little like sly nods aside um for the most part anything that this game made a reference to was kind of an integral part of the progression of the game. And yeah, it's, it's short and sweet and it doesn't overstay its welcome, right? It does the thing. It has a, it has a point, it gets the point across and then it ends. 
And I yes. respect that. Agreed. I find it really funny that yeah. we come to the same conclusions, but think completely opposites about it. <laughs> Is that what you dislike about the game? <laughs> well, to me, like, it kind of lacked an identity of its own. If it was like, like, here's Zelda, here's Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I can only think, like, why am I not playing Zelda instead? Because then you'd have to play a whole entire Zelda game. Here you only have to pay, play, like, 15 minutes of it. Yeah, but it's polished. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That was my main complaint with uh, Evil Land 2. So that's fair. And like, you're never gonna get like the quality of a Zelda game by imitating, imitating, and referencing a Zelda game. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and a- again, like, <laughs> that's my main complaint with Evil Land too. But we'll get there. Um, yeah, it is funny. You and I, you and I have the opposite opinions of the same facts, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, that's basically Evil Land 1. I don't know. Barry, thoughts on Evil Land 1? Uh, see, for me, Evil Land 1 kind of felt like an appetizer to the main course. And yep. what I mean by that is it was a, it was a short little experience. It set out to do, uh, like to, to accomplish a mission that is, let's do an RPG going through the history of RPG development. And they accomplished it. They accomplished it in a short, sweet little package. Um, yes, it was imitating Zelda and Final Fantasy. Yes, it wasn't as good at either of those things, of course. Um, I, I, unlike you, I really enjoyed the Zelda dungeon. But again, I'm, I love Zelda. <clears throat> so I, I really enjoyed that. But even though it was an imitation, it, w- it wasn't so much an imitation as an homage. And there was a difference. It was, it was clearly done as an homage to those things because that was the whole theme of the game. And it was fun, it was quirky, it was unique. It was something I had never really experienced before done that way. Uh, and that's what really gripped me. But again, it was an appetizer. It's, it's clearly done as like, <clears throat> let's see if we can do this, like a proof of concept. And they did. And once they did, I felt personally that they built upon that with the sequel, which we will talk about. But I do... You know, do think that you should experience this game. Uh, I told another friend about it, and he went right into two. Loved two, played two, never went to one because everything he read was like, oh, one is just a small little thing. One is the weaker of the two games. So we didn't even bother spending the time on it. And I'm like, you're missing out. Like, it's still worth playing. And I do think that there's a lot of charm to the first game. There's a lot of creativity. And uh, there's a lot of passion. Like, you can tell the developers weren't just doing this to phone in a project. Like, they... They were really passionate about it. They really wanted to make, you know, a game that honored their favorite genre of games. And mm-hmm. that happens to be my favorite genre of games, so it works for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it definitely felt to me <clears throat> like the sort of thing that I would see produced at a game school, right? By people who are sort of really interested in the study of games and the history of games and like, kind of want to try something weird and experimental with it. Um, which I guess brings us to Evil Land 2, which is much longer. Um, we can go through the whole story. Uh, we usually do, but it's probably going to take a while. 
<laughs> it's a long game. Like the first game is like four to five hours. This game is a solid 20 hour game. Um, I definitely played the full 20 hours. I probably could have finished it uh, like in 18 if I didn't spend so much time playing cards with people. <laughs> what, what was uh -huh. your percentage at the end when you beat it? Because it gives uh, you. Yeah, 90%. Okay. I had um, 98. I, I missed a, like two stars. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't bother finishing all the stars. Uh, I didn't collect all the cards. I did collect all of the mana and fully upgrade everybody. I think I ended up with like twenty-five stars out of thirty, and like thirty-two cards out of sixty-one, or something like that. Um, That's a lot of cards. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. That, uh... <laughs> I, I I was, you know, if I had been close at the end, if I had had, like, you know, 55 cards out of 61, I probably would have pushed for those last few cards. But I'm like, it's there. It's taking so much of my time. I just want to finish the game at this point for the podcast. Uh, so you actually got to the end of the game without really doing much of the cards. And then right before the final boss, I decided to go for the cards and collected them all. And I had a blast because I love that card game. Like, I think that card game is awesome. <laughs> I The card game may honestly be actually kind of be my favorite part um, because it's sort of a, a well-designed original thing um, that it's that it uh, like it's similar to other card games, but they put enough of a unique spin on it that I didn't feel like it was just playing like a worse version of magic or you know a worse version of uh triple triad or whatever you know it's yeah. uh <clears throat> it definitely felt like its own unique thing which was cool um okay so you start as nameless character uh in once again in sort of game boy colors this one is much greener <laughs> than the other one um you and you, you navigate through, like, sort of a dream sequence, it seems like, which is in uh, a mysterious lab where people are, like, monitoring and studying you for some reason. Um, and then you wake up in a village and with no memory, and there's a girl who's like, hey, you're unconscious. Uh, also... I have magic powers and we should go, uh, like we found you in this forest. We should go, uh, like investigate the forest and see if we can return your memories. Um, and thus begins your adventure. Uh, it starts, this one starts after the Game Boy section in, it starts in 16 bit. Um, so you make your way through this forest. You learn to use, uh, the girl's powers, um, I think, so the, the two biggest influences, I think, on this game were Chrono Trigger, obviously, and uh, probably Secret of Mana. The combat reminded me a lot of, like, the better parts of Secret of Mana. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I mean that, I guess, as a compliment, but uh, <laughs> anyone who know who watched my streams know that I have a very... Uh, contentious relationship with Secret of Mana. Are you talking the butchered PS4 remake or the SNES classic? The the SNES one. Um, so well, so here's the thing: is it though? When yes. did you last play it? Uh, SNES classic, right? They they did wasn't on the SNES. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I, I yeah. messed around with it. I didn't beat it fully, but 
Otherwise, yeah. yes, and yes. So here's the thing: that game does not hold up. Um, I'm sorry to say, like I played it, I played it fairly recently for emulator, um, and we tried to play co-op because that's like the big selling point of like, mm -hmm. whoa, it's an RPG that you can play co-op. That that it is unplayable in co-op because it is an action game where either player can interrupt the action and pause the combat to do menu-based magic. And it is impossible to coordinate that between two people. What? I played it what? with my husband and we were like on the verge of divorce over frustration. <laughs> it was bad. I played through that entire game on Super Nintendo with an adapt, like the, the multi-tap adapter with my best friend and his brother. And the three of us played through the entire game because it's three-player co-op. Played through the entire game that way and had no problems whatsoever. <laughs> I, I couldn't stand it. And there's also like a significant delay between your attack and like the register of the attack that makes it very difficult with multiple players to tell who is doing what damage. Um, and I just, I, I found it like really frustrating to play. I had a bad time with that game. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. And the thing is also that like the story is a little bit inscrutable. Um, it's possible that uh, the problem is that like, it's, it's actually a sequel to a, an earlier game that I did not play, but it yeah. seemed like there was a, um, there was a character who got a mysterious sword that got him exiled from his uh, town. And then they had to go like collect a bunch of MacGuffins in incredibly disparate, unrelated places, one of which involved saving Christmas. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the main character's mother was a tree and we had to fight a dragon. The end. It was weird. Like the story made no sense to me. <laughs> That sounds uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I fail to see the problem here. Um, no, I, I actually, I never played that one. I, uh, my big jam when I was a kid was uh, Secret of Mana 3, which did not mm -hmm. get localized until this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, which is great. But I no, played that was technically played last year. Time. Yeah, last year. Um, I played, I played the wrong, like the, you know, the, the fan translated ROM hack version mm -hmm. of that a lot as a kid. And it's a, a better game for sure. I recommend that to you, Kyla. You can Maybe. get the collection on the switch. If I, if I ever go back to doing um, the, uh, the uncaged fury stream, maybe. Uh, but yeah, so this, but this game, though, I got sorry, I got very tangented there, and we we need to focus on this game because it's already going to take ages. Um, this game takes the better parts of that. It has the, it, you know, it has some real time action combat, which feels pretty good, um, and it's got the overcharge mechanic that that game has, which is that um, in in, the, in Secret of Mana it's weapons, but in this game it's your allies. Where like if you hold down the attack, you charge a meter. Uh, and as your and then you do a special attack, um, and as your characters level up, you get more charges available on the meter until they can do like a big super attack, um, which is pretty cool and pretty fun. Like I I would say that probably um, that that combat system is the the game's strongest uh, element mechanically. 
Um, so yeah, then you you go through the forest uh, and you uh, find uh, an artifact in the center of the forest, but there are uh, there are demons. Do, do they? When do they? Is there like an opening crawl about the demon war? I can't remember now. Is that like a thing that's in the introduction? Yes. It talks about how they, it doesn't really talk about the war itself. It just says, hey, 50 years ago, uh, our king or emperor or whatever defeated the demons. And now it is the 50th anniversary of the end of the war. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty much all we get. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and yeah, so there are some demons who like pop up around this weird artifact and are like, ha ha ha, we're going to steal the energy from this artifact and use it to get revenge for the war. Uh, and then they, I forget you like scare them off or something. They anger the, the like guardian of the thing. And then you end up having to fight the guardian and you kill the guardian and it activates the magical artifact and the magical artifact sends you back in time and by back in time we mean it sends you to 8-bit um, but also back in time like but also back in time yes. yes um so that's basically the game's central gimmick is it does the chrono trigger thing of there's like a past present and future and they are represented by and eventually you discover a like long ago past but that's much later um so there's a past present future represented by 8-bit 16-bit and uh polygons this does make me think about um what if in reality we unlocked the secrets of time travel and we did go back in the past and it was all in black and white for like sepia tone <laughs> yeah. uh, how fucked up would that be <laughs> basically um uh, I'll say here, uh, as we usually say in uh, these podcasts, in case this is your first ever uh, version of our podcast, we're going to be spoiling the heck out of this game. So if you don't want to know um, secrets about the game and its ending, like quit now, play the game, come back, because uh, because uh, I'm about to I'm about to spoil a thing. Um, so like the 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 eight bit sixteen bit. Uh, polygon thing to me felt kind of out of place in this game. Like it felt like an artifact of something that was cute in the first game. And they like, they wanted to visually represent the three different eras, but like the, the eight bit and 16 bit are not really visually distinct enough from each other that it feels like a, a big visual distinction to me. And like the you you don't it doesn't really affect your mechanics in any way for the large like big proportion of the game like it's pretty much the same no matter what era you're in and also big spoilers but the end of the game has a whole thing about how actually time isn't linear at all but it's a big cycle and that's like a actually a huge problem and a big plot point and so i think having the the visuals of the game be a linear progression through time, like actual actively undermines that theme, uh, which is unfortunate. We really can't get away from time loop games, can we? Because our next <laughs> game is also kind of a time loop game. <laughs> we're just we're all about time we, loop games. We keep doing it. This keeps happening. 
It's oh. almost like we're stuck in some kind of pattern or loop of some kind. Hmm. It's Groundhog's Day. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, the 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 three the three eras thing or four eras thing is a is a cute visual gimmick, but unfortunately, I feel like they don't actually do much with it, which I found disappointing. Um, also, they the in the first game when they did progressions, they changed all the menus every time like your mechanics changed. Uh, in this one, like you basically have this. 16-bit menu that you start with all the time and then a weird like generic font banner that pops up at the bottom that doesn't match any of the aesthetics um for when you unlock stuff so i i was like i was really sad that they didn't do a like that the dialogue portraits didn't change for the different eras and things like that i'm guessing probably that would be something that they wanted to do and ran out of time for um, which is maybe like, I think the biggest source of my complaints for this game is that I feel like they tried to put too many things into it. And as a result, it, it got a little, un it feels unfocused and they didn't spend enough time on any one thing. And so a lot of stuff feels like loose ends and missed opportunities and, and stuff that could have been really polished and wasn't, um, but I'm 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 gonna try hard, guys, to not spend the entire uh, podcast complaining about this game because I did in I did end up liking it, and I'm sorry if I if I'm gonna come across as really complaining. That's fine. Um, Sometimes that just happens. It's so. fine. We know you hate this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What was the last time that Kyla got really mad about a game? And I, it was a relatively recent one, but I don't remember what the game was. It was probably um, super anyway, liminal. It's fun. I, yeah, that was it. Yep. I got so I, mad I that super I, liminal I, had I, a horror section. <laughs> yeah. Look, I I like it when when Kyla gets mad, when <laughs> Kyla uh, turns off the limiters. I'm fine with it. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so you, oh, I forgot to mention, there was one thing, there was one important thing in the village before you head out to the forest in the start, and that is, you can talk to a man fishing, you talk to a man fishing in the bottom right, and you get your first instance of this game's other main gimmick, which is, uh, like, side vignette scenes from other games. So you talk to the guy, and he gives you a literal Professor Layton puzzle about untangling his fishing line. Uh, to the like, and I say literally in that, like, when you solve it, it does the Professor Layton like three different poses of you going, Aha, uh, I solved the puzzle. Um, and so, yeah, and so I that like that's the first instance of, Oh, this game is gonna do like these little side vignettes of other games and other genres. Um, and then it doesn't do it again for like two to three hours. Yeah. And and that's like this game is a game that is probably like varies. I would say for me, at least, obviously, this is all opinion. But for me, this this game varies between like a four and a seven in terms of how much I like it. And it pretty much starts as a four and steadily works its way up to a seven. Um, like it's <laughs> the the beginning is just a really long, very like average RPG. 
um, like aside from the like the one Professor Layton moment and then the like, whoa, you changed visual aesthetics. It's it's pretty much just an action RPG for the bulk of the beginning of the game. Um, so you you go you go into the past. You don't realize what's happened yet. You go back down to the village to find that like the village hasn't been founded yet. It's just like one guy sitting by a lake with a tent. It's um it's Fina's dad. Uh, grandfather. Some, was that his grandfather? Her yeah, grandfather? that was her grandfather. Ah, okay. And somehow she didn't recognize a relative. Well, he's he young. was dead. <laughs> yeah. He's very young, and I guess she, like, didn't know him very well. I guess they wouldn't have, like, photos of their relatives necessarily in a generic <clears throat> fantasy setting. So that's yeah. okay. Okay. Also, did you know they went back in time at that point? I don't yeah, didn't. realize. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, yeah it's, it takes Fina... The, this is a, like... All right, I'm going to complain again. <laughs> this is another complaint. Sorry. Um, the I didn't like Fina at all. She reads to me as like really generic RPG fantasy girl who just is like whatever you she needs to be for the scene at the moment. Like sometimes she's bratty. Sometimes she's empathetic. Sometimes she's like really ditzy. Um, sometimes she's like, you know, like super loyal. It's like, I don't think like... She just felt like a pastiche of every video game girl to me. And I like I didn't connect with her at all. And for a large portion of time, um, she's like your only other character, which like is fine in the first game yeah. when literally the whole joke is that it's a pastiche of RPGs. But this one's like trying to be its own story and trying to do its own thing. And so this just feels like bad writing. Like if you're you're you either you can't use the fact that it's an homage to other RPGs as a defense for it's just a bunch of cliches stuck together. If you're also trying to do a meaningful story that you want the players to care about, which I think this game is. Yeah. Well, she was the weakest party member. I mean, bar none. Yeah. And she's, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I also, I kept forgetting her name for like, large part of the game. I'm like, it's something short, like two syllable. Yeah. Fina yeah. is her name. I still um, don't yeah. know my party members' names. <laughs> I, I specifically didn't choose alternate names for them because I wanted to try and remember their names. I usually don't remember my party mem members' names. Yeah, that's fair. I just hurt them by their hair color. Yeah. I've done well, that before. Boy with red hair, girl with green hair. Um, yeah, so it takes her a, like a startlingly long time to realize that you've gone back in time. Um, which, I mean, I guess, you know, arguably if you're like from the perspective of someone actually experiencing it, it's a very difficult thing to believe. Um, but in terms of information that the player figures out right away... And then it just goes on and on that the character doesn't get it. And it feels a little bit disingenuous uh, or like she's a complete diss one or the other. Yeah, um, that unfortunately is how I read it is just that Fina is uh, about as bright as a sack of rocks. Yeah. Um, which is probably uncharitable, but 
you know, they did. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with you. She didn't. She didn't have a lot to recommend her as a character. Yeah. Um. So then you get up into the mountains, uh, and you come across the first sort of like environmental puzzle thing, which uh, there are quite a few of in this game. Um, you could argue that maybe that's like one of their little genre flip moments, but it's it's like a common enough thing in sort of a Zelda style game, which this kind of feels like, that it didn't read to me as like, oh, we're doing another game genre now, at least at the time. Um, and yeah, it involves pushing a lot of mammoths around uh, the mountain to get them out of the way. And it's one of those slidey type things where they can only move in straight lines until something stops them. And so you have to move them into specific positions or out of the way of certain things. There's also a lot of doors that uh, like go back and forth between like if you go, you know, in them, uh, they go to one place. And then if you go back in them, they go a different place and things like that. Uh, and then you get... Um, that Then's when you save... The girl, right? The demon girl? Uh, Saris yeah, ends yes. up being her name. Um, yeah, so you run into some human guards chasing a like, helpless little demon girl, and you're like, oh, this seems bad. Um, oppressed people and all that. Uh, let's rescue this little girl. So you stop the guards from chasing her. Um, they mention something like really evil sounding like, you know, we must get her back to the laboratory for the experiment. Um and you're like, well, okay, that's a pretty clear, like, uh, telegraphing of what my priorities should be here. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you save the little girl, uh, and in the process, you get yourself captured by uh, the Imperial Guards, uh, and they take you to the, the prison. And then you gotta escape the prison. This is also, in retrospect, probably meant to be an homage to a different genre. Um, specifically, it's like a Metal Gear Solid thing because mm -hmm. there's a box that you get under and like, uh, you know, move around in. But I actually also didn't read this as a different game genre because there are plenty of like, um, you know, see the guards patrols and avoid their line of sight puzzles in Zelda style games as well. Um, so to me, this just read as more standard action RPG stuff. But again, that, in, I think in it was it was supposed to be Metal Gear Solid style. Yeah, you know? in in retrospect, it is a it is a if it was truly Metal Gear, it should be if they see you, you like can fight your way out of the situation, but it's difficult. Um, but yeah, no, so it's yeah, it it is a stealth section, and you do um. You do wander around. Uh, then there is a... You come up in the Colosseum um, where you're expected to fight several rounds and battle, uh, you know, waves of enemies, uh, which ends with your fight with the your second party member, Menos. Or Minos? Menos? I said Minos. Menos. Um, I said who Minos, is, but don't think who it is the, yeah. uh, the demon prince? He's like the the heir to the throne of Demonia. And he's like, hey, uh, you want to help me escape? Because I have a plan, but I can't do it by myself. Um, so you agree. And, <clears throat> oh, there's a...
Our ask is actually at the beginning of the Coliseum. You're asked for yeah. like a name and you have to come up with like a stage name to be called. Uh, and they give you like five or six options and they're pretty much all references. Like this is all reference humor. This is all like one of them I think is solid snail. Um, I forget what the others are. There's the one, the one that I like, I accidentally clicked through that menu. Uh, so I ended up by default uh, Super Mario, and I didn't see what the other ones were. And uh, that, it I ends up that that's like... just what Minos calls you for the rest of the game. I... Yeah, like this has huge time. consequences because you have to live with the results of this. Like honestly, this like the names pop up. It's a like ten second reference joke, and then you have to live with the consequences of this reference joke for the rest of the game. At least they committed to it. Yeah. <laughs> There's something. Um, I picked Wonder Man for what it's worth. I picked Super Clink as a reference to the first game. I picked Morio. <laughs> nice. You, you picked so Morio on Carl purpose. The, yeah. Carl and I are the Super Morio brothers, then, I guess. <laughs> yep. It's true. Um, okay, so then you get down to the sewers, uh, which is your first uh, side-scrolling section. And it even says, like, you unlocked gravity, which feels like that comes out of nowhere because, like, we've been doing all this stuff so far without really unlocking any new, like, mechanics or features. This all That also felt to me like a holdover from the previous game. Like, there was no reason to have that be an unlock message. Um and then but for the fine. rest of the game, you just have gravity in your inventory, by the way. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but yeah. gravity just stays in your inventory. I kept trying to use it for something clever, uh, but you never do, um, which is sad. Like, if you're going to put it in my inventory, like, do something funny with it later. Um, but yeah, so this also, weirdly to me, despite being an actual change in mechanics, where suddenly it's a side-scroller with platforming, um, this also didn't read to me as a different genre. Um, like I still didn't realize that they were doing the like multiple genres thing because it reminded me of the side scrolling sections from some of the Game Boy Legend of Zelda games, uh, where in like Link's Awakening, there's a bunch of like, you go down into a ladder and while you're underground is just side scrolly. So I'm like, oh, these are the side scrolly sections. Uh, it took me a remarkably long time to get that the 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 whole gimmick of the game is it's a bunch of different genres. Um, yeah, so you go through, honestly, and I'm complaining again, I hated the platforming sections. There are like th three, they do this a lot, actually. There's a number of side-scrolling plat platforming sections, and I felt like the jump doesn't feel very good, the swimming doesn't feel very good, the enemies are placed in like awkward and frustrating locations. Um, the, well, at least the checkpoints are plentiful. Yeah, there are checkpoints uh, at least, which is like absolutely mandatory. <laughs> there was a section in one of the later platforming sections, which is like a jungle one, where I was like within sight of the next save point and I died and I had to go back so far and it was such a frustrating segment and I was so mad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, again, I feel like 
if the game was focused on something like this, they could have spent more time polishing it and it could have like felt really good. But because they were trying to put so many things into this game, there's some really rough edges on the platforming that just made it real feel like not fun to play. Um, at least for me, again, all of this is my opinion. I, if, if people like the platforming sections in this game, that's totally fine. You're welcome to do so. Yeah, I didn't have any problems with it. But maybe it was because I played the first game before. And it was just such a jump in like, quality of gameplay to me. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I didn't mind the platforming sections just because it was... I I like when there's sort of a, a breakup, like, here's something different, you're going to do this for a little while, and then we're going to go back to the rest of the thing. I like that. It just, I, I think it's the ADD brain. Sometimes you just got to switch gears, and that yeah, that's, that's works fair. for me. And for sure, <laughs> the sewers are probably... Um like the least aggravating of the of the platforming sections um i definitely had a much yes. worse time with uh there's a later one where there's a, a crystal cave that has a bunch of disappearing platforms um that there was one or two sections that i had a really rough time with and then this jungle section which just has a lot of like really tedious enemies in it um yeah, the caves the caves were definitely worse. I didn't get to the jungle part, but the caves, especially because they had those um like crystal blocks that if yeah, you touch them, you just die spikes. instantly. Yeah. And sometimes they're uh, above you and you can't see them until you hit them. Yeah, there's fun. at least one in that cavern, there's at least one leap of faith where you are expected to jump to the left without being able to see the ground at all, and there's one safe space you can land in, and the rest is spikes, and you have to kind of figure that out on the, like, literally on the fly, and that's like, don't do that to me. Like, I understand that you're you're homaging previous game genres, but please remove the bad parts of those genres for me, <laughs> please. The, the blocks thing, I believe, is homage to Mega Man. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise that me. Yeah. Um, there's there's also another very uh, pointed Mega Man reference in this game, but we'll get there. Um, right, so then you come up from the sewers uh, in the capital city of Genova. Um, you end up, like, to get passage out of Genova, you have to talk to, like, a sleazy... Um, like smuggler type character and he wants you to pay him a lot of money uh, so you have to find odd jobs to do around the uh, around the town uh, and these are just like some little mini games one of them is definitely like an actual game genre change and that's the like walk Donald's one where there's like a little restaurant and you like customers ask for different things and you have to remember what they want and you have to like try and serve them efficiently and things like that. And that's kind of a cute uh, side game. Um, another one is like working as a maid in a household for like these rich folks uh, and then like playing hide and seek with, uh, with a bunch of the little um, orphans, orphan children. <laughs> yeah. From the orphanage. And again, um, because there were no, probably because there were like no meaningful camera changes, even though the Walk Donald's one is very clearly a different genre, 
I still didn't get it. I still didn't get that this was the gimmick of the game. <laughs> Which at this point is probably starting to say something about my own um, like aware lack of awareness. <laughs> Um, or maybe I was just too in the focused mindset of the previous game, which where the idea was like progressing tr through things in a sort of linear way that I, I just didn't register like, oh, we're playing different genres all the time. <clears throat> I sort of got like, oh, this is an homage to like these other like types of, you know, this mini game is an homage to this other type of game. But I didn't think of it as like, this is a game about having a bunch of different references to specific game mechanics. Uh, all right. You escape the town um, <clears throat> and you go to head up to the demon camp to return Menos to his people. And to do that, you got to go through the haunted forest, which is just like kind of a maze. You have to go and find uh, and defeat five ghosts and like talk to a big water monster. Um, I don't know. There's not that much interesting to say about the haunted forest, I guess. Yeah, not really. It has very loud music. It, yeah, it does. I mean, it that that tune is a banger for sure, but it it is certainly mixed a little high. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So you get through the swamp. You get to the demon uh, camp. You talk to um, the demons. I think, I'm trying to remember what happens here. I think uh, it turns out that, like, the the evil people who were chasing the demon girl, like, followed you here. And they, like, lay waste to the demon camp. Yeah. Which sucks. Uh, you also meet uh, Menos' son in this sequence. Uh, at which point it becomes clear to the player, but not the characters, that this is the same like demon that you saw in the present day who was like trying to get revenge mm -hmm. oh i didn't get that at that point oh no yeah, I, did, I didn't get that at that point either doesn't he have like uh he has like a very distinctive like two-colored face yeah but that's if you remember <laughs> yeah I, I didn't make that connection okay if you're paying attention, it's obvious. But yes, but, I, no. but I did get the other genre switches as they happen. So yeah, you no. know. <laughs> so some some's a win, some's a lose. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So in escaping the uh, the demons, you guys all run up to uh, a a big like stone bluff above the camp. I forget um, what activates the the magilis there the like the artifact it gets like destroyed or broken i don't remember exactly how but it gets it gets destroyed and the oh, right. magic kind of comes out of it right yeah there's like a last like blast of there's a last blast of like released magic as it's destroyed and it hurls you into the future um and that's where you become 3d for the first time uh, so let's see, in the 3D section, um, I am again using a walkthrough for this, uh, for this recap because boy, do I not remember all the things that happened in this game. It's so long. Um, I say that it's only 20 hours, which is like for an RPG is actually pretty short, but 
it felt long because the first one was five hours. Uh, yeah, so first you go into the swamp um, and you're trying to talk to quote unquote the boss. Um, so you have a, a, another like puzzle dungeon that you have to solve. Um, which is interesting. And, and there's like a part where you get to like go into a suit of armor and walk across some spikes. There's a bunch of big like Mario style thwomps um, that don't kill you instantly. So I usually ended up just walking through them and tanking the damage a lot of the time. Yeah. I did a lot yeah. of that too. And you you collect these two gems and you put them in this doorway and then you have a boss fight with the uh, monster from the, the like swamp monster from the present day forest. Only now he's like a big 3D monster who's swimming around you and um, dropping a lot of spikes on you and you got to hit them back at him and things. Um, let's see. You get out of there. Um, why do you need to see him? You need to see him because you get the first mana from him. He gives Is that you, right? Yeah, he gives you the mana so that you can break the um, the giant boulder that you pushed onto yeah. the bridge in the past or in the pre mi middle time um, so that yeah. you can go back to the town. Yeah. 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 So you, um, yeah, you take the. You take the mana to the just most uncomfortable witch um, who just, she flirts with you constantly and she's like, I don't know, I, I just found that like just really awkward and unsettling. Maybe just bit, me. Yeah. She's alone no, in the woods, here. you know, she's lonely. Yeah. All she's I got is, is um, her potions, her cauldron, you know, <laughs> what's, what's Alas going to do? Yeah, she looks like a direct reference to a Dragon Ball Z character. Like, she looks pretty identical to um, the Baba from oh. Dragon Ball Z, uh, if I recall. Or, is she in Z or is she in just in Dragon Ball? No, she's in Z as well. Okay. Baba Yaga, yeah. sir. Which um, I figured if she looks like a Dragon Ball character, that's probably some Dragon Quest reference that I don't know because I haven't oh, played any of the yeah, Dragon Quest call. games. Yeah, but. I also have not played any Dragon Quest. Oh my god. Wow, you guys have some games to play. Yeah. <laughs> I see, I took her as a reference also to um, the witch in Zelda, specifically like Link to the Past oh, and, yeah. and Link's Awakening. Yeah, They do have a little witch I guess that's true. as well. Is she like sitting on top of a... Uh, She's like not on a, a ball though. Ball in the same way, yeah. Um, now the ball is definitely a Dragon Ball Z reference, but like the whole witch in the woods kind of like it's it very reminiscent of Zelda as well. Yeah, especially because you get potions from her. Mm-hmm. What you doing? Yeah. Dragon Ball. I, I tried to search her to see if I could find her name, and she is, uh, according to Google, she is Dragon Ball Witch, <laughs> the old witch, literally, <laughs> old hag witch. Hmm. Uh, Master Roshi's sister. Is she? Yeah. Um, with the like pink hair who like sits on a on a little glass ball and flies around. Um, wow, she has two very different looks um, based on these Google images, and I don't it's, know. It's Baba. It's fortune teller Baba. 
Oh yeah, fortune teller Baba. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So you meet her, and she, so she throughout the game um, can help you make potions with the red and green goo that you find in certain chests, and she can. Um, uh, she can also awaken your characters, which means she can give them their first level of mana upgrade um, so that you can charge them more. And when you can charge Menos, uh, he can break big rocks for you. So you can break the big boulder that was uh, that you used to block the bridge in a previous time. Uh, so then you go back to the capital city to find out uh, what happened. And... The, you go to the library and you pre play Professor Layton. There's like eight Professor Layton puzzles. And I guess this is where it sort of sunk into me like, oh, the game is going to be doing this regularly. It's not just like a weird one-off homage that they made at the beginning. Like, this is the game's thing is that it's going to be we keep... Uh, like running into these different game genres and trying them out. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of puzzles. I did look up the solutions to at least one of them, which was like the very first one, which is this box, because they don't explain the rules of how the system works. They just give yeah. you a box with a bunch of numbered buttons on it. Yeah. And I did not. I did not understand I the, the premise. Um, I'm like and again. This... That's that's just the the Professor Layton mo of, hey idiot, you're stupid. Solve this puzzle, <laughs> idiot. Um, yeah. Yeah, there were a couple of them where I'm like, uh, for the most part, I did like I did manage to figure out the others. I'm looking at them now. But there were definitely like some that I, I struggled for a second to understand like what even the premise was. Um, I'm thinking of uh, the piping one because they mentioned like, oh, the there are junctions that don't move. But I sort of had to figure out like what that meant. I'm like, oh, okay, it's these pieces specifically and they can they don't it looks like they connect in all four directions. Uh, at first, because they have four little pips around them, but they don't. They actually only connect in two directions each, and you only start seeing that once you start moving the pipes around them. Yeah, I had the same thought about those initially. Um, but was the other ones, I feel like... like not <laughs> yeah, the other ones... Unfortunately, like, because the, the box puzzle requires you to only click once... Every time you click wrong, you have to go through the whole sequence of like, oh, you didn't get it, and then go up to the person and try again. So that one's frustrating to just like fiddle with and figure out. Um, but the others, the others, for the most part, you can kind of fiddle with them until you kind of get what the gist is of, of how it works. You also don't have to do them all. You get a star sure. for doing them all, but you don't have That's true. Yeah, you only have to do six out of the eight. Uh, the the dean does say to you at the beginning though, there's a special prize if you do all eight. So I'm like, fuck! Now I have to do all eight. It's required. Yep. <laughs> Must. That FOMO kicking in right there. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So then there's. Oh yeah, there's also a bunch of little girls who help you get into the library in the first place, 
and uh, because they want you to steal a book from them. Also, I guess the uh, the the future is supposed to be kind of like post-apocalyptic-y, um, or or at least like sort of dystopian, because the the there's like only two classes of people who aren't super poor. And they're like cutthroat merchants and cultists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also they live next to a like giant crater with hazardous smog um, that they decided to use the hazardous material for their technology, I think. Yep. Like steam powered, but hazardous Mog powered. Mm -hmm. Seems like a not super wise uh, course, but but sure. Um, why not? Um, okay. So yeah, th there's a few things here that you can kind of do in various orders, but um, I'm going to go with the order that they have it. Um, like some of the stuff you kind of have to back and forth if you do it in the wrong order anyway. So I'm just going to do it in the order they have it in this walkthrough. Uh, so you can go to the Pyramid of the Prophet, which is where the cultists live, which is like a giant metal pyramid that they built to survive the flood, which doesn't make any sense because it would be underwater and it's a giant metal pyramid. But you get the impression that the cultists are like not super well put together in terms of planning. <laughs> Uh, and then you, so they give you a like, hey, you can join our cult and like get into the pyramid if you um, prove that you are a, you know, like that you are one of us by like passing your training and then like climbing the mountain. So you have to do a series of quiz questions <clears throat> and then you have to head to the Windy Valley to climb the mountain. And this is the crystal platforming section. Uh, which, yeah, involves a lot of instant death spikes, uh, which I found very frustrating. Yeah. You also meet uh, Clara Loft here, who is the Tomb Raider just kind of standing in a corner. I guess there's a thing you can do later in the game where you, like, find a hidden tomb and report back to her. Um, but I, I did not choose to do that. I didn't get that achievement. I don't know. Barry, do you know what that's in reference to? Um, that I'm not sure. I know. You go back. To that's just going to be one I don't get. <laughs> on steam so i didn't have to worry Same here. about the oh, which is that's also good because a lot of the achievements actually just spoil plot points in the game like there's there's oh. a bunch of them that should probably have been hidden achievements but they're not great <laughs> that's always fun uh, so yeah you go through uh you get to the top and
so get on the little flying machine, uh, and then you're in a shmup. And then you you fly through a shmup with like three bosses. Um, it's fine. Uh, again, it's you know like most of the mini games in this, it's kind of uh, sort of unpolished compared to a game that would be like where that mechanic would be the focus. Um, but I, it's it's okay and it's fine enough for the short while that you play it. Um, uh, the bosses were kind of like interesting and weird. So, uh, but then you get to my favorite one of these, uh, or w one of my favorite two of the weird game genre switches, uh, which is you get to the, um, you get to the top of the pyramid and you meet the like prophet of this evil cult. And he's like, yeah, ha, ha, I won't let you take my artifact, the Stone of Time. Fight me for it. And then it becomes Street Fighter. <laughs> uh, complete with the pause menu has, like, the move combo diagrams on it. So you can do, like, the actual moves. I loved that. And, <laughs> yeah, you can do, like, little Hadoukens and things like that. Um, which, yes, is, you know, again kind of reference humor but this at least feels motivated to me like the context makes sense because it's a it's like a boss fight and you're you know i don't know it felt it felt more motivated and again it's short so even if it's not the most polished thing in the world it's like a cute aside like i actually laughed at this one and and enjoyed it i like that they used the like actual inputs <laughs> yeah for for the real fighting game moves yeah yeah i i would not have been able to tell you that but it doesn't surprise me like given how uh given given what those move combos sequences seem to be um so yeah you take the stone of time um i i i proceeded basically the way i proceed with most fighting games which is to say i just pretty much spammed uh, I, I've, I looked up the, uh, the button combo for the biggest attack and then unsuccessfully tried to do it a bunch of times, which resulted in me spamming enough regular attacks to do okay. Yeah, whatever works. Uh, and then you take the Stone of Time to the Cursed Island where... Uh, supposedly there are some like magi ruins uh and you put it in i think we're at this point kelso we're basically this is about where you stopped right yeah um so yeah all this all this new stuff is new for you yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of new stuff <laughs> yeah yeah so that's like probably i don't know the first half to third of the game yeah, you haven't even gotten the fourth party member yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you go to the you go to the cursed isle of the pirates, you put in the stone of time, it activates a magilith on um the uh like up on a little rise, a little hill. Uh and you go to activate the magilith and see where it's gonna take you. Um and you go back in time, but only Fina and Kuro get sent back in time because 
the exact spot where Manos was standing is already occupied, is the explanation they give, uh, by Velvet, who is the final uh, party member. Um, and she is a an explorer uh, slash archaeologist who was examining the Magi ruins, and she has nifty ice powers. Uh, I like Velvet's powers. I, for me at least, felt like the most useful because <laughs> um, she basically does a spray attack with them, so you can hit a bunch of things at once. Uh, which I guess we didn't really talk about what the overdrive attacks are. Um, so Fina does like a, a big forward rush attack that hits everything in a line. Um, Manos does a big like power slam um, attack that's sort of a, a circle around you. And Velvet does a cone attack, basically, of cold shards. And they can freeze enemies, which slows them down, which is really nice. And all of them also have a like map traversal purpose where um, Fina can get rid of um, vines and she can hit switches from a distance. Uh, Menos can destroy big rocks that are blocking your way. Uh, and Velvet can uh, freeze... Um, water. Like water yeah, spouts. Yeah, she can freeze. Like I think she explains it as like droplets of water hovering above the surface. So you can't like arbitrarily freeze water. You can only freeze water in the spots where they put paths for you. But that still works. Um, okay. So I think this is where it sort of starts to uh, open up. Yes. And you can do... Yep. All the things. Yeah, then it's when you you're coming up to the point where you have to get the the keys, the five keys, and the game completely opens up. Yeah. When do you meet? When do you meet um, Saris again on her little like weird floating island thing? Uh, I think it's right after you reunite with Minos. Yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, there's a there's. Okay, here's where the, the like five keys fake out is. Um, so you you learned from the the cult that there's like a prophecy that you will like collect five keys and destroy the world. Uh, and when you go into the past, you go back to or I guess you go back to the present really, um, and you go to the uh, the the capital again you find like the kid version of the prophet and he and his friends have like four, five keys to their secret hideout. So you have to collect the five keys from the kids in order to get into the sewers, basically. It's like a different part of a different set of sewers. Um, so you chase the little prophet kid down there. Um, and then you, I think, have your first encounter with the um, the the elite city guard, yep. Who I I assume they're a reference to <clears throat> elite beat agents. That's what I took it as. Um, but you never do any kind of rhythm game with them, so they're just they're just there. They're just three like super incompetent dudes with different hair colors. <laughs> who spend a lot of time arguing with each other. 
They're comic relief. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, also, I guess, uh, um, what's his name? The, the demon, demon boy, Reno, mm -hmm. Reno. Yes. Reno is back. Um, since you're back in that time period now and you got to chase him down and, uh, cause you want to stop him. He's trying to activate like a big old weapon and you're like, oh shit, this must be what creates that giant calamitous crater in the future. We got to stop him from doing that. So you chase him and his two sidekicks down uh, and you chase them into uh, some mines. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So, oh no, is the infinite runner first? Maybe the infinite runner is first. No, the infinite runner is second. Second. Um, cause I know that the two like demon girls have their own boss fights, but yeah, hers is the second one. So yeah, first you go into the mine, there's a little Bomberman sequence where you, there's like a, one of the demon girls throws bombs at you and you have to hit them back at her. And then she gives you bombs and you have to spend the entire rest of the mine without your sword, just using bombs to fight, uh, which is sort of interesting. And there's a lot of like minecart puzzles where you swap the the tracks around and it takes the carts take you different places. I was pretty much just using the step-by-step -step walkthrough guide this entire time. I'm like, I I could figure these out, but also I don't want to miss all of the inevitable com like collectibles that are hidden in this mine. There were and then you have a bomb with uh, uh, with, and you kill her, which seems kind of like she has weird change of heart of like, oh no, now the we've been wrong this entire time. Please go and stop my boss. Um, it's like oh, okay. So the next thing that happens is that there is this basically infinite runner sequence uh, at the on the rooftops of the city. Uh, and it's not just any infinite runner sequence. It's like pretty clearly cannibalt. Um, so there's, you know, there's a bunch of roofs. There's a bunch of boxes. Um, there's some gaps between buildings that you have to jump. Um, it's probably my least favorite section um, of the like little mini games because there are a lot of like rooftops that come up very quickly and um, you like, you don't, you don't know that you're going to have to jump until it's too late to jump. Uh, and there's a lot of boxes that you have to like destroy and or jump over that kind of come up really quick and, and things like that. It's a lot of like very fast reaction time stuff and the jumping doesn't feel super great. Um, so I had kind of a bad time with that. Also, you, I, I forget whether this is cherry or plum. I think it's cherry. Um, you can slash at her with your sword, and it does. It gives feedback like it's damaging her. But do you actually like? I don't think she has a health bar, does she? Do you actually do anything I, when you damage her? I don't remember actually doing anything, but I still did it regardless. Yeah, 
I like I felt like I was supposed to. I'm not sure if it changes the amount of time you spend in the infinite runner or if the infinite runner is just always the same regardless. Um Yeah, and so then when you get to the end of the infinite runner there is the uh the the like big Mega Man reference which is like there is just a straight up Mega Man boss fight where you each have like uh you know where she's she's spraying you with bullets and you're trying to uh dodge them and hit back at her and um i think i i died once during this fight like i did pretty well and then died uh like towards the end of her health bar and then the second time through she got she glitched and got stuck in a wall and i was just able to stand there and attack her constantly until she died so nice so it wasn't that hard for me, but I definitely had an atypical experience with that fight. You got lucky. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Is it is it really hard normally? No, I, I had no problem with it. Okay. Um, yeah, so then you go to like the the sealed off um door to Dr. Jiro's laboratory. And Dr. Jiro is like a, a figure that's been mentioned a few times as like this famous um scientist uh also another dragon ball z reference yeah mm -hmm. um dr jiro or the uh specifically the dr jiro happened i see uh yeah because you're also about to get an additional dragon ball z reference to happen uh, reno now that you've taken out his two henchmen uh or hench ladies uh you and he through the fight goes super saiyan and gets like blonde hair uh, he he just like straight up mur murder this guy like this is menos's son For this sequence because it would have been too weird that you have to kill his kid um yeah i mean like given that the game game is in general like you know mostly very jokey and full of references like the jarring like this this part in particular i'm like so we're just like straight up killing the our party members kid but yeah you do that and then you never tell manos like you tell him what happened and that his son turned out to be a terrorist but you never tell him that like you. i think it's him. because they're thinking so. in that time period like oh if we write everything in history this will never come to be so he will never turn out this way, thus he will never be killed this way. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, the goal is to to basically turn off this entire sequence of events if we can. So hopefully it doesn't matter. Um but spoilers, it it sort of does. Um Yeah, so then you go through like uh this old magi laboratory where there's all kinds of like broken down machines and stuff. Um there's a bunch of references in here. Uh, this also becomes the turn-based JRPG section. Chrono Trigger. Um, where you have, specifically. Yeah, specifically Chrono Trigger. 
um, where there are like monsters, the robots that that come in, and you uh, you have to you know fight them with your party. Um, there's a few little gimmicks, like there's one where the lights are flickering on and off, and you have to you can only hit while the lights are on, so you have to wait until uh, the flickering stops or you'll miss. Uh, and then there's one where there's like electrified grates, and you have to like wait for the electricity to die down. Um, but yeah, references in this section include um, there's just like rusted out Daleks everywhere in the um, in the the lab, uh, and also Mewtwo is in one of the um, like big vessels. There's there's also a, a Xenomorph alien, but Mewtwo actually like talks to you psychically. And like tries to troll you by just getting you to press a bunch of arbitrary buttons. Um, then you have to pass four Turing tests, which are all like really old school mini games. It's a uh, Pac-Man, Worm, Pong, and Galaga. Galaga, or is it? I was there's all two of them that I always get in Space Invaders. I believe Space it's Space Invaders. Invaders. Space Invaders, yes. Sorry, I always get Galaga and Space Invaders confused. Um, Space Invaders. Uh, and then you get to the final boss, which is Mother Brain from Metroid. Um, and you get through the... You get to the last... Um, yeah, you get to the last chamber where there's a machine and you're like, great, we'll shut the machine down. And then there's, uh, I believe this is a Chrono Cross reference um, where like suddenly uh, Kuro, your main character just starts like um, losing control of his body and he activates the machine instead of turning it off. And everyone's like, no, Kuro, what are you doing? Um, and yeah, then the whole thing explodes. And you get thrown uh, into a rift in time uh, created by uh, Ceres, who is the um, like the demon girl that you saved way back when. And it turns out that she's actually like a half demon, half human, and that makes her incredibly powerful for some reason. And so they were gonna, they were like trying to harvest her power to, um, to build the weapon, I guess. Yeah, because the she powers the weapon and the guardians power the project, right? I think that's how that works. Um, yeah, so you wake up with her in a little like floating rock in the midst of a. like post-apoc just um, like get their special key that they made and that lets you rewrite time however you want. Um, and then you can, you know, you'll be able to fix this. But unfortunately the key is broken into five pieces. So you have to go and collect all the different pieces of the key and um, good luck, basically. She's like, I'll tell you where they are, but you gotta go get them. Um, so then, you get a, a a little control thing that lets you uh, use the Magilith's 
whenever you want. So now you go back and you're able to arbitrarily switch between the three time periods. And I feel like this is the point where the game gets really good. It's like two thirds of the way into the game. Um, but like when it, once it really opens up, it starts to feel like um, a lot of the stuff is more polished. The story gets moving a lot faster. Um, and I don't know the, the, the playable mini game sequences become like more overall interesting as well. Yeah, this is the point that I was really uh, hoping to get to, and unfortunately I didn't get to it, but I mean, I still have the game, and I will probably continue to play it, so... Yeah, you're still a ways away from it's this, worth, unfortunately. Though. Yeah. It, but, it yeah, sounds no, it like it's worth it, but yeah, it sounds like there is also quite a bit to get through. Yeah. But, you know... Well, I, even the stuff leading up to this, I enjoyed all of that, especially growing up. And I think that's one of those things, like, if you grew up with these games... The references are that much more impactful, I feel, than if, like, yeah. you never played Bomberman, you're like, oh, why am I stuck with bombs? Like, this is stupid. Yeah. But if you played Bomberman, you grew up with Bomberman, it's like, oh, I see what they're doing. This is great. You know, like, it's so much fun to just go back and play a little bit of, of those older games. Same with, like, those tests where it's Pac-Man and Space Invaders and stuff. You never grew up playing those games. You know, you're like, oh, why am I playing these? But if you did, you're like, oh, I love Pac-Man. I love Snake. I love Space Invaders. Like, I can, you know, have a little fun doing this. Yeah. This would be easy. It's a dangerous thing to do design-wise because, like, given the sheer volume of uh, reference, like, reference games in this game, there's definitely going to be, like, something you recognize, but there's also definitely going to be at least a few that you don't. And then you're risking like the if if the if you're not really polished on all the these mini game mechanics, then you're risking the ones that they don't know being turn offs. Yes. So it's sort of a dangerous path to walk. Like I understand, you know, like this is the gimmick they committed to for the game, and they went for it like as hard as they they can. But um, yeah, it's a little it's a little bit of a risky design decision. It totally risky design, but they they did that as like they they based their game around it and they they went full full in on it, which I applaud them because I think that's really cool. And and a lot of it is not necessarily uh, game as much as genre, like you know, like the Street Fighter fight, for example. It's definitely based on Street Fighter, but it's also just a one on one fighting game style. So you know, if anyone's played a fighting game, they can get to it. And if they haven't, maybe this will be their introduction. They'll say, "I had fun. Let me." let me try another fighting game and for the direct ones like space invaders and pac-man if you've never played those games honestly that's on you <laughs> like those games are so classic at this point you probably should have at least played them at one point in time yeah um and you mostly like those are all at least simple enough that like they're easy to grasp yeah. um i think for the most part they do a pretty good job of uh, making the mini game segments easy enough that if you're not super experienced with it, it's not a chore to get through. Um, with one or two exceptions, like I, I felt the the Infinite Runner was a bit of a chore for me because I because it was hard. Um, there were a few of the like a, a one of the side the side scrolling shoot 'em up um, that comes up later. Um, was a little rough for me. I didn't like the rhythm game at all, but we'll get uh -huh. to that. Well, um, see, what I, feel, I also found a lot with it is, like, as you go through the story, you're introduced to it, and it's on, it's on an easier level. Mm -hmm. And then you can go back to it 
later on for a more challenging level if you want to truly complete the game. Like like the shmup section with the like the gyrocopter, you have to get through it for the story. But then if you go back, there's I believe two increasingly more difficult uh, matches or rounds you can go through to to get stuff like uh, you know stars and cards and stuff like that that you don't have to do, but there's more to it if you want and more like harder content if you want. Yeah, that's definitely appreciated. I, I like that they don't force me uh, to do um, to do the harder bits <laughs> because I would have been bad at it. Uh, Evil Land 2 rhythm game. I like um, the rhythm game. I wanted to see if my theory is correct. No, my theory was wrong. Um, I felt like for some reason uh, I play a lot of DDR and I felt mm -hmm. like the up and down arrows were swapped, but they weren't. They're in the same configuration as DDR. <laughs> so I'm just crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So now we're at the part that uh, the 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 guide refers to as choose your destiny um so the i feel like the first thing that you should do is go back and get menos because you you need your your remaining party member um so yeah you can go back to the future you grab menos he's like whoa you guys just disappeared like what happened did it not work and you're like oh no it worked but and then you tell him all about, you know, like his son and the horrible shit that happened. Presumably it happens through a fade to white. So you don't know exactly what you say, but he does say something about like, you know, like, oh, wow. But, you know, like at least like he, he may have chosen the wrong path, but, you know, it's uh, I think he says something. He says something about like that he thinks he escaped or something like that. Something that implies that he you didn't tell him that you murdered his son. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's a thing. Um, yeah, so there's a fragment of time, fragment of fire, fragment of ice, um, fragment of nature, uh, and fragment of earth. Uh, fragment of time is the first one listed in the guide, uh, but that's also the weirdest one, so I'm going to save that one for last. Um, let's see, fragment of fire is the oh that's the one at the with the pirates so you you have to do uh you have to first prove you're a pirate by like going to the pirate king in the past and getting his love letter and delivering it to the girl that he has a crush on uh and then she gives you her tinder profile uh and you go and give the tinder profile to the pirate um which they don't yeah they do not bother to explain at all it's just a thing um and let's see he gives you the pirate flag then you can go and challenge the the pirates in the so that's in the past then in the present you go challenge the pirates they see the flag of pirate captain roberts and they're like oh shit it's the ghost of pirate cabin captain roberts um you'll, well you'll have to fight us um if you want to continue and then that that one's a beat-em-up um, where, you know, it's one of those side scrollers, a la, uh, what's a beat em up streets of Double rage, dragon streets of rage, final fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So in that style, um, 
there is a specific reference that I know is from one of those games. I don't know which one where you can like pick pick up Menos like a ball and throw him. I want to say that's Double Dragons, but it almost reminds me of Turtles. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so the you do you do beat him up, you get this uh shard of fire and then you have to quickly escape because the volcano at the pirate's island hideout is uh is exploding. And so you yeah, you um get out in time and you have the fire fragment. Uh, there's the fragment of ice, which is going down to the south, um, where there are frozen Vikings, and you have to get to them before the water melted and the sea level rose, which presumably killed them all, um, since they're not around in later, uh, time frames. Um, there's, is, uh, there's a whole complicated thing where you, you have to prove that, that, like, they're having a tournament, and like the prize is a is this artifact and so you want to participate in the tournament but they won't let you participate unless you're like a full-fledged warrior so you have to go through warrior training which involves going through this little tunnel um which is where you meet the you know first or depending on the order you do it not necessarily the first um but one of the uh three guardians which are the characters that can upgrade your party members a second time to use their ultimate abilities. Um, so in the in the ice cave is Velvet's um, ultimate upgrade, which is like the ice spirit. Um, and basically all of the the ultimate abilities are like full screen attacks that just murder everything that's on the screen. You have to avoid getting hit until it's done charging, but they're they're still like incredibly powerful. That's also an homage to the seven onwards Final Fantasy summons attacks where it's just this yeah. long cutscene. And the yeah. spirits themselves are like Final Fantasy spirits. Yeah, one thing that's really cool, and this is like one of the few parts where the um, time period you're in actually makes a difference. You only get the long cutscene if you use them in the future. Yep. Uh, if you use them in the past, they just like appear on screen. and the screen. Yeah. So, okay, like they're actually using this mechanically uh, instead of it just being, but <laughs> you know what I mean. You, uh, once you get through the tunnel, you get into this like so you got to be kind of careful and uh yeah the ending sequence of that is donkey kong where like mean troll has manos captured and it's like clocks down at you um which was another one that i thought actually well used in context right like it it's it was especially because of the kidnapping. 
to Meadow. You forgot the tournament. Which oh, is you, um, they, then they'll let you participate in the tournament, and the tournament is bejeweled. It's, it's, I think it's more puzzle it's, quest than bejeweled. Yeah, it it is more puzzle quest. It's a it's a match three. Um, the the, um, sorry, the the guide calls it bejeweled, but yeah, it is definitely more puzzle quest. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a match three game, and I found that to be quite funny considering like what a big deal they make uh, out of like how they're warriors and this is a you know tournament to show your warrior spirit and so on and so forth um i enjoyed that a lot uh and then you fight their boss who is a snowman named john snow just so they can make a you know nothing john snow game of thrones reference which like at that point i was starting to roll my eyes really hard at some of these references <laughs> Yeah. I just rolled my eyes that I didn't play this part, so. <laughs> it's like, that's not even a game. Come on. Um, well, they've done a lot of stuff that wasn't games. Yeah, they, yeah, it's true. They do. They do. There was a, there's a Back to the Future reference when you wake up with, uh, like, when, after Ceres saves you as well. Um, okay. <clears throat> yeah, so you, you get to the end of that one. They give you the... Uh, artifact which is actually a book which is the same book that velvet finds like later that helps give her her ice powers so she insists that you give it to the explorer who's visiting the vikings so he can eventually put it in the library where she finds it because time travel will continue uh, continuity stuff uh and then in exchange for the book he gives you the ice key fragment um then you do Right, the nature. Um, nature is the uh, forest of the sylphs, which is a bunch of um, back and forth time change puzzles. So the idea is that the sylph forest is an area that exists like completely independent of the normal flow of time. Um, so you can go in there from any time period and it will always be 16-bit era. Um, there's also, like, a bunch of heroes from different games, like, waiting in line to hear from the Sylph spirit, uh, and they are, they, so the, the heroes they picked as the, like, five important heroes of video games are, um, Mario, Link, Bomberman, Ryu, and Sora from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> like, uh, okay. No, no ladies in that group, I notice, but sure. Clara Loft is off doing other things. Yeah, she's in there. She's just elsewhere. We couldn't have gotten a Samus. I guess she doesn't spend much time talking to uh, fantasy creatures, but neither does Mario uh, in, in the same way. Um, or Ryu, for that matter. It could have been Chun-Li. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you get into the Sylph Forest. You have to you have to get a Sylph tier to get into the Sylph Forest, which involves like going back to meet um, Fina's grandfather in the past, and it turns out that like he marries a Sylph at one point, and that's why Fina has magic powers. 
Um, yeah, so you talk to her, you get the Sylph's tear. And by her, I mean the grandmother Sylph. She's a ghost at that point, but you know. That was a touching the... scene, too. Yeah, I think that is also um, a specific reference. I want to say to the scene in Chrono Cross where they tie it into Chrono Trigger where you go to like graves and there's the spirits of like the Chrono Trigger characters yeah, that you talk to. Um, but I've never, like I've only watched Chrono Cross played. I haven't played it myself. So I don't remember that scene very clearly. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen that scene, but yeah, there's a scene like that. Um, yeah. So, you know, she, the self talks about, like having given up like her life of basically her immortality life outside of time to, you know, visit the world and like meet people and experience things. And yeah, it's a pretty sweet scene. So you take the self's tear back to the grove. Um, you do a lot of uh, puzzles. You're supposed to clear the grove of like these evil shadow monsters that have infested it. And there are these trees that breathe fire at you. And there's a bunch of portals that take you to different time periods. And there's like different things that you can do in different time periods. Cause the grove like ages and uh, reduces based on what time you're in. Um, and this is another segment that I just, I just use the walkthrough. I'm like, yes, I could do this, but I don't have time. And I just want to get through it. <laughs> just show me where the things are. I'll be honest. This is my least favorite part of the game. This one it's dungeon. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot of there's a lot I can imagine that if you're not using a guide, there's a lot of like backtracking and figuring things out. This is also one of the spots where the guide is like way too vague and it's like really difficult to tell what they're talking about. So they're like, "Wait, what do you mean go like down right? I can't go down right." It's like, "Go down right as far to the end." It's like, "What does that mean?" Clearly, it means go down far right is all the end, right? Yep. Um, yeah, there's also a tree that talks like Yoda that's called the Yoda tree. Um, <clears throat> that's like um, somewhere between like the Mana tree and the Deku tree. Uh, yeah, also Navi is in this forest. She helps you talk to certain trees and burn the heck out of shadow monsters. Um, she has like a weird, um, like redneck accent, I think, from what I remember. Uh, yeah. So you go and clear the forest, you get the shard of nature. Um, and then the, the last one is the, um, fragment of earth, which is a tactics campaign. Um, you go into the great war. You team up with General Dalkin, who was the guy who was, like, chasing down the demon girl earlier. But it turns out he was doing it at the behest of, like, the weird magic advisor to the um, to the emperor who turns out to be evil. And so, like, you team up with him. You do a pretty, like, competent tactics section. Um, I did have a one of the levels glitch out on me when I was most of the way done with it, and I had to restart it, which was really unfortunate. Um, I think this segment is very long. Like, it doesn't need to be as long as it is, um, 
but the the gameplay is good if you're okay with it being a little long it's like it feels it feels fun you also don't have to do all the levels you can skip them you can i did them all because i felt compelled to do so um and it's it's funny because i was thinking to myself uh not enough time to do these levels they're so long and then i just kept doing them um yeah so then you chase the the magic guy down to his um like castle place and you fight him one-on-one and it becomes a ddr style mini game where it's a rhythm game uh which i was very bad at despite playing a lot of ddr um and i think um I don't know. I'm glad that they they go really easy on you for it because you can fail like a good half of the notes and it's still fine. So I take it that's all you did with the the DDR segment was that one boss battle that you I, have to do. I did go there because you you get a key mm-hmm. from him that unlocks his house in the town, and then you can go there and do like yep. his track, one more track, and then a harder version of both tracks. Uh, I did go to the house and I did do the easy version of the other track just to see if there was anything different about it. Um, and when there wasn't, I just left. If you do all four of them, I think you get a card. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah. So that's the earth one. Uh, yeah. So then there's the time one. So for the time one, you have to go to the wind area. Um, you have to talk to an inventor that you meet there named Sid who's trying to invent a flying machine. Uh, Sid with an S, of course. Uh, and so you you talk to him a couple times. He tells you, like, hey, if you ever see anything that I could use as inspiration, like, please bring it to me. So you go and you get the wrecked flying machine um, that you found in the future, and you bring it back to him. It's implied that, like, that's the one that he invented because of all this time circle bullshit. Um, and then you, uh, give it to him and you go back into the future and there is now like a thriving village there that wasn't there before because now he was like a really successful inventor and founded a village. Um, and they give you access to the ruins in the sort of corner of the area. There's also an old man sweeping in this village. Um, who is actually there regardless of whether the village is, um, who keeps, uh, who talks to you like he totally understands everything that's going on about all the time loops. Um, now, I've read some theories that say that this is actually Kuro as an old man, but I think it's a reference to Lutze, the time monk from the Terry Pratchett books, who is, uh, tends to disguise himself as a sweeper and like stand by important historical events, just sweeping and sort of making sure everything happens the way it's supposed to. Um, That's interesting. So maybe it's a, and given again, that there are references to Terry Pratchett in the first game and like in the form of the, the big um, world turtle, which, you know, might be a Terry Pratchett reference or just a religion reference. Cause there are, Terry, the Terry Pratchett reference is in turn based on actual religion. Um, but given, yeah, given that there's this specific reference of Atuin in the first game, I wouldn't be surprised if this was supposed to be Lutze. Uh, he's never named. I think he's just called like Old Man or something. Anyway, um, so you get access to a special Magilith, 
uh, in the in the corner of these ruins here. And you it takes you back to the time of the Magi. Um, so actually before everything else to the green Game Boy world that you originally woke up in at the very, very, very beginning. Um, and you learn more about the Magi. Apologies, I have to take a breath to take some <laughs> drinks because I've been talking for so long. So loud. Breathing is yeah. for the week. Um, yeah. So you go to the past, you learn about their experiments, you learn that... Um, I guess in the in the Demonia campaign, the the tactics game one, you learn that the demons were actually like created by the Magi in in a lab. So here you get to go to that lab where they're created. You also learn that they created all of the guardians as well to harvest elemental energy to power some like big dramatic project that they're working on that's supposed to. Um, ensure that time stays stable in a, in a like cycle. So it's basically the entire uh, timeline is all a big loop, where like at the end of time the world floods and then becomes the flooded world of the Magi, and then the Magi exist and the Magi invent all this stuff, uh, and then the Magi disappear, and then the you know water freezes and the Vikings come and you know like. All of this, all of this cycles uh, uh, continuously. Apparently, um, there's also what they call the anomaly, which is like a giant weird thing, spiral vortex, vortex that appears uh, near uh, by. So you also learn that um, you learn a little bit about Kuro's backstory. Um, they're cagey enough with it that, um, like the the guide has one interpretation, but I don't, I don't feel that that interpretation fully holds up. Um, you, someone mentions you as like the other member of the project to continue the cycle. Um, some pe the the guide thinks that Kuro is Doctor Jiro, um, who like was torturing the demon girl, which. I feel like doesn't fit in terms of the timelines, but I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm missing something. I wasn't he's, sure on that. Yeah, he's definitely like a product of the Magi in some way, or the Magi, or training from the Magi in some way. But meh, big shrug. It's all very wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, and hard to follow. Um. So you. You have to go to, oh, you go to the library and you give the copy of the Frost book to one of the librarians there. And in exchange, they give you permission to use the uh, LHC, LHC, or Large Hyperion Cannon, um, which you can use to shoot yourself into the anomaly. And they do it uh, in the style of cannon travel from Secret of Mana. Yep. Um, like the full visual, like shooting you up into the overmap. Uh, and then down into the thing. Um, you also get you get a straight up flying. Oh no, that that comes later. Um, yeah, so you get shot into the anomaly. The anomaly is probably the thing that like most turned around uh, my opinion on this game because as people on this podcast know, 
I am a real sucker for surrealism <laughs> and surrealist levels in games. And this is like real weird. It's it's basically like a grid, but it's all like bubbly and wonky and it keeps shifting uh, like up and down as you walk across it. And there are these crystals that you can hit that turn it 2D, in which point um, you like fall sideways and everything that like had been like a geological feature is now a platform uh, and it's very weird. And you have to solve a bunch of puzzles um, and then fight. A lot of the puzzles are time, like time clone based, where you step on a thing and then it makes copies of you and you have to get all the copies to coordinate together to do a task at once. And then at the end, you fight a My bunch of shadow clones. Puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I uh, first ran across that mechanic in... Um, God, what was the game I played recently? Um, the Talos Principle. And I was like, oh no, not this mechanic, no. It really wasn't that bad in this game though. Yeah, it's not It's not that serious. They don't ask you to do anything super complicated, luckily. It's mostly like, you know, run over and stand on a switch or something like that. Um, yeah, so then you fight a bunch of shadow clones of yourself and you discover uh, the flying machine that um, I guess is an anomaly in itself because like you gave the prototype to the guy who invented the prototype. So where did it come from originally? So I'm going to use that as my justification for why it's in the anomaly at all, because otherwise it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but you get on the flying machine, you fly out of the anomaly, um, and then you have a flying machine. And then you can go visit, you know, you can go back to the later times and you can visit all of the uh, the places that you can't get to with just your ship and, like, sailing that's, around on the water. That's why, like, the guide probably puts it first. Like, do this yeah. one first so you get the airship right away. Yeah, because it's much faster to travel once you have the airship for sure. Um, yeah. So let's see. Then, yeah, you're... You have all the fragments, you give the key to Ceres, and she's like, great, let's use this to uh, erase the great disaster that created that huge cr crater and, you know, destroyed Fina's village and all that. Uh, and she does that, and by destroying the great weapon, since her power was the power that was siphoned off to create the great weapon, um, all her powers come back. And she's like, great, now I'm going to end time. See ya, bitches, and pieces out. Uh, which, you know, sounds not great. Uh, and then you, then you're at the point where you can like do all the cleanup and finish collecting all the things that, uh, you didn't collect. Cause it's like big boss time. Um, so there, there is actually two parts. You can do like part one of the boss, uh, and then, uh, do part two later. But part one is that like, as she's leaving you, Saris summons the like big time guardian thing um that the magi made which is like kelso i feel like you would like this creature it's like a big worm covered in eyes that is surrounded by like floating storm stone armor that sort of turns it into a dragon yeah that sounds dope <laughs> yeah. that sounds like my jam yeah it's uh 
it's pretty it's a pretty intense creature it's like gross but also cool looking um yeah i don't know if it's an homage to anything in particular other than your usual giant god monsters from um you know jrpgs but it's pretty cool and you you go up to it on your flying machine and then it becomes a little like a side scrolly shmup i don't know if that genre has a different name than shmup it uh, is, just is... top down versus side they're both shmups yeah um yeah so you make your way through the monster uh like alongside it and like continually shooting at all the little critters living on it and off of it i did not realize because they don't tell you the rules for any of these genre switches i didn't realize you can jump off the flying machine in these segments and just like walk around and hit things with your sword and then jump again to jump back on, like double jump to get back on your flying machine you know i don't so, think i ever did that yeah i i wouldn't have found out if i hadn't accidentally gotten hit off of it at one point and like fell to the ground and i'm like did did the game glitch like why am i on the ground now where did my flying machine go? Um, but yeah, so you uh, you get to the end of it. You cause the Guardian to like fall and form this like giant continuous explosion. And then the real end game is going into the explosion and fighting Ceres. Um, and Ceres explains that her motivation is that like everything is caught in this time loop of violence and tragedy which she's not wrong like it involves you know some giant wars and like a big calamity that destroys like a huge section of the continent uh and from her perspective especially like it involves her being captured and tortured for much of her life so i can see why she would not want to like continually relive that cycle uh, but you're like, no, the cycle is in, like, you don't know what's going to happen if you, we break the cycle. Let's fight to not break the cycle just in case it goes horribly wrong and we all die. And she's like, but there's also a slight chance that like it might lead to having like not being controlled by fate and being able to choose our own destinies. And like, if there's any chance for that, shouldn't we do it? Which seems to me like the argument that a good guy would make in most games like this uh but sure um yeah and then there's a multi-stage boss fight with saris there's oh also your your power awakens you uh, you gain the power to slow down time which is very helpful in this boss fight so first one is in 3d uh and it's the there's like a force field around her and you have to hit these nodes to make it disappear and then you you know, swoop in and fight her or like hit her while she's vulnerable. Um, then it all collapses and you're in this like continuous upward scroll scrolling platformer from like the 8-bit time. And she keeps like darting around doing attacks and you have to find her vulnerable moments and hit her a bunch. Uh, and then it the last section is a shmup section in the 16-bit where you're like flying through space and you have to defeat like her big space armor and then fight her. And then there's an anime cutscene at the end. <laughs> the only anime cutscene in the game um, where she says something like, I'll be waiting for you, Jiro, and like cries and then dies. 
And then uh, roll credits. You see like a bunch of people returning to their normal lives. And then it ends at the end of the credits with Kuro waking up again in Fina's room and her being like, oh, hi, what's your name? I'm Fina. Like, uh, it seems like you've lost your memories. So basically like the beginning of the game again, which implies that, you know, you did not change anything and the cycle is just going to continue, which seems like a really bad ending to me, like very depressing. But I mean, yeah, I guess it's open to interpretation. Like, yeah, they could have done like what the Dark Tower did at the end was it starts back at the beginning after, you know, seven books. But here's one tiny change that represents some some hope that things will be different this time. But I guess yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, like there's there's a question of like the point of the key was supposed to be able to change things in the timeline. So maybe you actually removed the weapon. But then, like, none of the other stuff would really make sense. And, you know, they, they don't have any indication of, like, oh, it's it's slightly different this time. So who knows? It's left up to our interpretation. Yeah. And also, maybe yeah. Kuro was Dr. Jiro the whole time and, like, spends a good portion of his life before he loses his memory torturing Ceres. Uh, but I don't, like... I really don't understand where the guide gets that interpretation, to be honest. Um, like, there's some stuff in Dr. Jiro's lab that maybe points towards that, but also, like, Kuro is very young uh, when he comes through. It would be weird if he did all of that before, uh, like, any of this. And it would also be weird that Ceres doesn't recognize him. Uh, and also, like, afterwards, he then, like, settles down and maybe has a kid um maybe because like the implication there's an implication that like he might be sid's dad so who knows <laughs> it's all time travely all right and that's the summary god i'm sorry that took so long <laughs> i'm sorry that you've had to carry us through it <laughs> yeah all right, so of the parts you guys played, you, you guys talk about your impressions for a bit while I drink more water. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I was, I was hoping to get to a point where uh, things opened up more, and I didn't. Um, but I am still looking forward to getting to that point, just maybe not with as much urgency as I previously had since... <laughs> Now we've done the episode, so I'm not on a I'm not on a uh, deadline. But yeah, it's it's not often that I will go back to a game that we've played um, on the podcast, but I will I will at least continue playing this one for sure. Yeah, to me it felt like this was like a solid, like Western RPG, and yeah. I, I don't really, like, enjoy the reference humor. That's not really my thing. But the gameplay was solid enough to, like, see me through. Yeah, I agree with that, for sure. Um, I mean, I had, I had, like, a similar problem with in the first game, where every time you unlock something new, it would tell you what you unlocked, and then there was, like, a little, like, subtitle aside comment that sometimes was just clarification of what you unlocked 
but most of the time was like a bad joke or pun. And I thought, I, I wish, I wish you just had one sentence there and not two. Um, and that, that kind of, oh, maybe back off from it. Um, it in terms of some of the jokes continues, but it is still fun to play and occasional eye rolling jokes you know not not the end of the world not a game ruining experience i can look past that for sure so yeah i wouldn't say i really love the lorem ipsum yoke yes i forgot about that yeah oh yeah um, i forgot that about was that too one of, the, one of the funnier ones do you want to explain the joke carl for our listeners well i think it's when you first find the first like monolith that takes you to 16 bit mm-hmm. um and there's like they read the magic text and they just read like a lorem ipsum text <laughs> yeah yeah that was a that was a good one which isn't it, a reference like, to anything it's just a joke <laughs> so yeah. it, it feels yeah. magic yeah it definitely it feels does. like magic spell words I guess that's just Latin. <laughs> it's not even Latin. Latin it's does, fake Latin. Latin. Yeah. It's Latin adjacent. Um, very general impressions. Um, as somebody who grew up, you know, loving Zelda, loving Secret of Mana, loving RPGs, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, you gotta play that. Um, it's one of those things where. I went into it after, especially after doing the first game, went into it with very high expectations to see where they took it. And it's a very different beast. <clears throat> I loved the different uh, graphics per era uh, mechanic. I just thought that was just really interesting to see all the different areas designed in different eras. And I, I did notice the 8 and 16 bit difference. Uh, that, that, that wasn't something that bothered me. But it, It was just realized it more, um, but I was okay with that because I liked the different genres switching to being a fan of most genres to at least the degree that I, I, I it kept me on my toes. It was like, oh, I'm going to go here. What's this going to be like? And it kept me guessing. And I like that. I like that when a game is, we're going to throw a bunch of genres in here. We're going to do it well. I mean, is it, are these like the pinnacle of each of these genres? No, but they're not supposed to be. They're Again, they're more homage to those genres. And I like that. I like that. Well, what's going to be here? Oh, now we're doing, you know, Fire Emblem. Oh, what's going here? Now we're doing Chrono Trigger. And now we're doing Double Dragon. And, you know, now we're doing Shmup. And now Professor Layton. And like, I like that it threw all those things out there. And again, the, then the card, the card game alone was, was so fantastic for me. I just... Way too much of the I, card I, game. I wanted to get all the cards simply because I was enjoying it so much. Like, I, I love... I, I grew up with Magic, you know? I started playing Magic at the beginning. And I, I haven't played in years because it just got too expensive and too crazy and complicated. But, like, I love that style of card game. And this is, like, a simplistic but brilliant way of doing it in a, in a simplistic way. And I, I love it. I, I absolutely... Just had a ball playing that card game. And, you know, I didn't get all the stars. I missed a few of them. But I didn't mind going back and using the radar. And there is one thing that 
right at the end of the game, I don't tell you this, but you can actually find on the map and device that lets you transport yourself to any time period just by pushing R or L, you know, on, on the Switch, R or L, uh, which makes it incredibly easy to go back and, and find things you're missing. And really? uh, yeah, yeah, no no monolith needing. You just do where, it from the airship. Where is that on the map? Um, I'm thinking it's near the demon, uh, like the demon stronghold. Uh, where the Fire Emblem area is, and I think it's in the future where you don't actually have to do, the, like, you could just walk through the forest. I think it's there. There's a little, like, light in the forest, and you click it, and it, like, fell from the big dragon thing. Man, that um, would have uh, that would have helped a lot. Yeah, so that that's there, and I do recommend grabbing that. But I, I just... did I did really fall in love with the game in the sense that it, it brought me back to the the SNES golden days of RPGs, the Final Fantasy VI and IV and the and V and, and the Chrono Trigger and you know uh, Secret of Mana and just just that era of storytelling and that was my childhood, really my 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 teen years, and uh, I love it in that regards. So is this a perfect game? Far from it. But is it set out to do something completely unique and in a unique way with a lot of content, way more content than I expected uh, it to have after playing the first game? Absolutely. Like, you definitely get your money's worth out of this game, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely on sale now. What? It's probably on sale right now, I'm assuming, since uh, Steam Steam thought a sale is going on. Yeah, it was it was five dollars I think on the Switch on sale, um, and for five dollars it's crazy awesome. It's one of the yeah. few games I actually bought digitally, simply because as a physical collector I do own it physically as well. But the physical version is worth so much now that for me to play it, I'd actually like be devaluing my copy. <laughs> so I said for five bucks I'm just going to download it because I do already own it physically, and uh, I, I it is something that if I didn't own physically after playing it, I would actually hunt down a physical copy for my collection because it's it's a game I wanted on my shelf. Yeah, yeah. Any any other? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Like general. I just realized, like, it's pretty much Nintendo, right? <laughs> like, it um, comes I mean... up very like Nintendo fanboy. Yeah, there's. The the two biggest influences are definitely, um, I would say, Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana. Um, really, over Zelda? I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, Zelda as well. But um, yeah, I would pick those two over Zelda if I had to like rank the influences. I would say Chrono Trigger first, then Secret of oh, Mana, yeah. then probably Zelda. Yeah, I guess Secret of Mana and Zelda are very similar in that action RPG. Uh, and Secret of Mana, I mean, was on the SNES, yes. so it had to be at least partly a Nintendo game. Um, but I guess like Square, Square made it. It's at, it's at least as much a Square DNA thing as it is a, a Nintendo DNA thing. Yeah, but also like when you talk, you reference like a lot of the biggest like video game characters, but like you don't find any like you don't find your Sonic, you don't find your like Wonder Boy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There wasn't a lot of well, 
not many I, you know what it is i think there's not as much nostalgia for sega's franchises because sega themselves seems to really only care about sonic and and lately yakuza but you know wonder boy well, wonder boy isn't even really technically sega that's uh that, that's another company but uh yeah. alec kid is forgotten about chameleon kid is forgotten about echo is forgotten about like there is a very brief Sonic reference where someone makes a comment about like a blue spiky creature that was really fast or something like that. <clears throat> but you don't see anything. It's just a, a dialogue line. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, they're they're trying to pick the most iconic things to put in the game. There's a lot of stuff in the game. Um, but, like, in terms of percentage-wise, like, Nintendo just takes up a big mindshare of the most iconic, like, games in the history of games. Like, the, the continuum of game history. At, uh, at least if you since, grew up with Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were responsible for the the video game renaissance mm-hmm. in the, uh, the survival of video games in the U.S. Yeah, so, I was just about to say, like, in the U.S., like... Me being a European, we kind of had have like a different perspective on that, on that. But yeah, that's fair. Well, yeah, you're. I mean, European Sega, I think, was these bigger. And then if you were like, if you grew up in like Brazil, you know, that Nintendo really wasn't there that much at all. And in fact, they were playing the Master System <laughs> for forever, thanks to Tech Toy. Yeah. Oh gosh, Brazil's Brazil's uh, video game industry or whatever whatever you want to call it is uh that's a whole thing <laughs> yes boy oh boy and and obviously nostalgia is definitely not only where you grow up but when you grow up i mean it's just like anything what was your first system what was your what was the defining games of your childhood and everyone's going to have different games and everyone's going to have different systems because we all grow up at different times uh and that's why i think it was smart that they took genre homages as opposed to character homages while there's still characters there a lot of it's like the fighting game could be any fighting game it was clearly more street fighter but it could have been killer instinct it could have been you know if you play killer Instinct, you play virtual fighter you play tekken like you would still get what they were doing Um, yeah i mean it is it is like they do use literally the hadoken like you you do literally say hadoken when you fire one and again, that's uh, one of those things that transcends video games. Like people know the Hadouken, you know, people people recognize that. I mean, there's movies, there's multiple Street Fighter movies, there's anime, you know, like certain things transcend video games. You know, the same way you could say like Get Over Here from Scorpion. You know, like people who don't play video games might understand that reference. Yeah. All right, so I'm I'm gonna just give my sort of final summary defense. Um, as I said, like as much as I complained about it, um, I did end up liking the game. I would say I think the you know the last third or so of the game kind of like tipped the scale for me. Um, but I I do still maintain that I think the first one is a better game um, because it's it's a tighter experience. Um, the first one is very much trying to be a very specific thing and every aspect of the game supports that specific thing like if you removed the weird gimmick from the first game you wouldn't have a game there would be nothing there mm-hmm. whereas if you removed the the bun- the different uh genre of 
you know, the mini games, um, the, the like time travel aesthetic stuff. If you removed all of that from this game, you would still have like a, a like decent to trending towards above average um, uh, RPG that relies very heavily on like tropes and people like specifically being nostalgic for like an older RPG. And I, f I just feel like they spent so much time doing these gimmicks, the time travel aesthetic gimmicks and the, the game genre gimmicks. And they did, they tried to put so much of it in that they weren't able to like hugely focus on any one piece of it. And so part of me just kind of wishes they'd taken all the time they used to do those gimmicks and just made a better RPG because it, it feels like it wants to be like a really good classic RPG and it's missing that ball because it's relying too heavily on like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Don't you remember this? you like, yeah, this part's cheesy and like not very well written, but that's because like the, these old games were cheesy and not very well written. And I, that feels like a cop out to me. Um, so I feel like it's, it's too, it's stretched too thin. Um, and like, as I say, I had fun. I think overall, um, I do think it's a good game. I did, uh, I did end up enjoying myself quite a bit, especially as it went on. Um, but I just feel like it's not as, it doesn't have the sort of artistic vision that the first one has in a way that feels really like focused and high concept and really trying something unique right yeah. because like if i if i wanted a genre pastiche without an rpg behind it i could just play frog fractions right um but i don't know so that's that's my argument uh, like i understand that that's a that's a pretty hot take <laughs> and a pretty contentious position um but that was my feelings on it well first off there's no right or wrong it's all opinions uh you're right in the fact that what they did with the first game was unique in that sense and that's why it was the first game so you whenever there's a sequel you can't in my opinion you can't hold the fact that the first one exists against the second one uh in, in that regards obviously they're, they're trying to build upon what they did with the first one but they didn't want to make more of the same and i will always applaud a sequel that does not do more than the same <laughs> i think they should have made less of the same I think trying to carry forth the gimmick from the first game actually hurt them. Um, and I think if they had stripped more out of the first, like more out of the game that was similar to the first game, they would have been better. Well, I mean, it's called Evo Land for a reason. I mean, that's, that is the gimmick. The gimmick is out of the evolution. And if you take that out, then you just have another game. <laughs> it's not, yeah. it's not it, Evo Land. Is, is it though? Like, is the, because the, the second game isn't about the evolution of games. It's about a survey of games. Right. There's no sense of the complexity increasing over time. It's just a bunch of different games. Well, it's more about it's not necessarily a linear evolution of the game like the first game was, but it's a more rounded evolution of the game in terms of how it evolved from the in, in the labs, the early game Space Invaders, Pac-Man, you know, stuff like that, the simplistic games to all these other genres that are branched off, but in like that circle of time, it's it's all throughout history how many different genres evolved from Pong. <laughs> I mean, just, you think about video games, you know, 
they they all every genre had to exist it had, had to be born there's a first of every genre and then it then from there every genre has evolved and this is just kind of like like a way of looking at it from a 3d perspective of here's all these different genres that all evolved from the early days is there's all these different types and they're all video games well, um i think the the argument that like the oldest games are in the old forgotten broken down lab is is pretty strong but uh i don't know i disagree that i i don't feel that sense of evolution really carries through on this one but i uh, agree to disagree i guess there's, like i said there's no right or wrong it's all opinions I will say, I think Evil Land 1 is way easier to pitch. However, I had fun playing Evil Land 2. I did not have fun playing Evil Land 1. (laughs) Fair enough. Here you go. Hey guys, uh, sorry for the rough edit here. We had some issues with Craig and lost a little bit of the recording. Um, just a bit at the end of the discussion on Evo Land. Not too much, um, but I couldn't do a whole lot to stitch it back together. So I'm just going to skip ahead to the part where we talk about the next game that we're playing and um, plugs and stuff. Uh, yep, yeah, sorry, bye-bye. Um, yeah, so the next game we're playing, also, um, I think I alluded to this earlier, another time loop sort of game, because that's all we play on this podcast, I guess. <laughs> it, it turns um, out. It, as, it, as it just so happens, uh, we are going to be playing Oxenfree, which is a uh, adventure game type of thing with time loops and parallel universe type of themes uh and that's by night school studio and it is on the ps4 and i believe also on the switch and steam and the epic store you can get it pretty much wherever yeah i think it's uh 50 off on steam right now so yeah exciting that's well yeah. well we're in the fall sale of 2020 for those who might be listening to this podcast later um but yeah, yeah no, true. I'm I'm excited. The screenshots make me think of Kentucky Route Zero, and I love Kentucky Route Zero. So hopefully, similar vibes. Uh, similar vibes in in a way, yes. All right. I will say that much. Well, very cool. Well, so that means that you have um, nominally two, but probably like four weeks uh, to play this game because. Uh, people might be gone and also then there's going to be christmas and stuff uh to play this game uh and then if you want to come and talk about this game with us um come join us as a guest on the podcast you just have to tweet at us or message us on discord if you'd li- if you really like this game and you'd like to record with us uh so kelso how can people reach the podcast you can reach the podcast on twitter at feedback force um that's also where all the links to everything are. The link to the Discord is there. Um, the link to all of the episodes, past episodes, this episode, whatever you want. It's it's there on the Twitter, at Feedback Force. Um, and then I am on Twitter infrequently these days. Uh, but hey, stop by if you want to look at my cat. Uh, at Twitter, on Twitter, at Kelso Time Bomb. That's where I am. 
Yeah. Uh, and I am on Twitter at Kyla underscore go. Uh, and you can, so you can follow me there. You can also find my work uh, on, not on all modern generations, not on the PS5 and uh, Series X, but on the PS4 and Xbox One and Switch and Steam, you can buy Wintermore Tactics Club, um, a tactical boarding school adventure full of Dungeons, Dragons, and imagination. And yeah. You should get it because we need to sell more copies. Yeah. At least buy it. You don't have to play it. <laughs> yeah. Just buy it. It's fine. It can sit in your Steam library like everything else you've bought. And you can follow me on Twitter at Skug3 if you want to see me liking shaders and VFX effects. Nice. And uh, Barry, where can people find your stuff? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at HawkHellfire, where I'm not only talking about video games, but I like to uh, share when certain video games are available for uh, purchase, as well as latest news and, and videos as, and, and other podcasts and other stuff that I try to take part in. Uh, you could also find me on Facebook and on YouTube at Nintendo Fuse, where we do have our uh, weekly podcast, which we do live and in video. So you can actually see my face. You can see it live. You can tell a joke and you'll see me laugh in real time. Um, we do encourage people to join us when we record it. We record uh, Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so that includes two days from now um, at the, the time of this recording. Uh, so that's be December 1st. And uh, you could also find me on uh, the Switch Mania Playcast, which you can find on Anchor. And the same with Nintendo Fuse, you can find on all different podcasts, uh, channels, Apple, you know, iTunes, and, and all the different ones you want to wanna listen to. Wherever podcasts are sold. Exactly. And, and also given away for free. <laughs> hey, when when if you want to listen to any podcast I'm a part of, I guarantee you a triple your money back guarantee if you're not satisfied with it. <laughs> nice. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks I for joining us. Man, everybody. against all odds, we have recorded this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Somehow we made it. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Yep, yeah, bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.